Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today, we are going to be going over the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms Commander Precons. There's four decks being released in this set, each with 17 new cards. So we're going to start off by going through the Commanders, and then go through the new main deck cards. And just talk a bit about how they're going to fit into the Commander format. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's, do you want yeah, to jump into it? Yeah. Yeah, let's just go into it. Do, do you want to read off this first one? All right. This is Sephiroth of the Hidden Ways. White, blue, black for a 2-3 legendary creature human wizard. Whenever one or more creature cards are put into your graveyard from anywhere, venture into the dungeon. This ability triggers only once each turn. Uh, and then she has create undead. Whenever you complete a dungeon, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. You know, restricting you to venturing once per turn does kind of pump the brakes on some of the fun things that you can do. And I think that there's... Um, I think there's a couple different ways you can build around her. I kind of focused on like getting value off of the reanimation half of the card, but I think it's also totally valid to plan to venture through some of the longer dungeons like Dungeon of the Mad Mage and just try to get a bunch of value rather than really focusing on like completing the shorter dungeons more quickly and farming more reanimation. No, I was going to say the same thing. I actually think that even with this much just built in venturing, I think that you can kind of plan on getting through seven ventures pretty efficiently pretty quickly Mm -hmm. yeah and one it it's notable that um she triggers off of cards creature cards being put into your graveyard from anywhere so for example if you have a self mill component to your deck like a mesmeric orb or something that can get you free triggers um but i think the the mechanic that works especially well with her is cycling like whereas a mesmeric orb is likely only going to happen on your turn, you know you can cycle on anyone's turn, discard a, a creature card, uh, draw a new card. You've like you're not really losing cards while you're doing this, and you're just triggering your Sephiroth. Um, one of the best cards in the deck seems to be Tortured Existence, which is single black mana for an enchantment. You can pay black and discard a creature card to return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So you don't even need cycling cards if you have that. You can just keep recirculating the the same few creature cards doing it once per turn like on your opponent's turns as well and then you're just going to go through the dungeons really really quickly another thing that i'd like to mention is that um things like entomb or buried alive that search something out of your library and put it directly into your graveyard that's also going to trigger sephiris so you're really rewarded for setting up your reanimation um by like you know dumping your really good targets and then you're going to be that much closer to completing a dungeon, getting that reanimation trigger. Because I, I don't really have too much to add to this. I think this is like a good time to talk about like investigate just like as a mechanic in the scope of commander now that we've oh, seen sorry, all venture? the cards. Oh yes, venture, sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> because if you are just putting in like a random venture card into your deck, it is not gonna do anything to you. Like venture is like not worth a card. A creature with ETB venture is not anything at all. You 
The yeah. F- the first room of any dungeon is pretty garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's like you gain one life, each player loses one life, or scry one. Like, none of those things are very valuable in a game of Commander. Yeah, but the the thing with Venture, and the, the I think one of the reasons it's actually kind of cool and you might want to do it is that, like, not all rooms are created equal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's some rooms that are going to give you a lot of value. There's some rooms that are going to give you not that much value. So it really comes down to if you can trigger venturing a lot. So with Sephiroth, you like obviously the whole point is you trigger <laughs> venture a lot and you go through these dungeons while you're getting other value. And I really think that's the sweet spot where putting a random card with venture into your deck isn't really worth it unless that card is going to venture multiple times easily. So as we go through talking about this deck list, like it kind of is all subsidized because of Sephiroth, but when we talk about other commanders or other cards with Venture later on, venturing just alone a one-of card that ventures probably isn't just going to make it. So mm-hmm. um, it, I'm very happy to see Sephiroth because she lets you kind of use these Venture things in a way that, that you probably wouldn't be able to if we just had the main set. <laughs> yes, I, I totally agree. One last thing I want to mention before we um, move on to the next commander is just that in terms of reanimation targets, I think uh, in this color identity, like the Praetors all seem pretty good options. Um, yes. <laughs> like Jingataxius is the thing I've been like entombing for or burying alive most often. And that's kind of the the thing that really makes the deck work like makes it everything you're doing becomes worth it like doing all this dumb cycling and like venturing through the dungeon whatever when you get jingataxius back it's like you know really making it difficult for your opponents to play magic and and really rewarding and like refilling your hand and everything kind of that, that's the payoff for doing all this yeah yeah and, and i honestly for three mana and like to play some fun cards that seems worth it yeah so yeah, pretty. I'm I'm into Zephyrus. This is really cool. All right, uh, moving on to the next commander. This is, oh god, I'm gonna call it Nihilor. Yeah, uh, I think that's what it is. Uh, two white, blue, black for a three-five legendary creature horror. When it enters the battlefield, for each opponent, tap up to one untapped creature you control. When you do, gain control of target creature that player controls with power less than or equal to the tapped creature's power for as long as you control Nihilor. Whenever you attack with a creature an opponent owns, you gain two life and that player loses two life. This has got a lot of hoops to jump through. First off, you know you have to have other creatures when it enters the battlefield. They have to be relatively or large relative to your opponents. And then you want some ways to like kind of Make it so that things just aren't undone the moment an opponent casts a spot removal spell on your mm-hmm. Nihilor. Just kind of looking through the, the most popular Esper creatures, they aren't especially big. Like, you know, green and red tend to have the higher power creatures at lower costs. So either you're going to have to, like, be satisfied with running a bunch of, like, you know, useful, efficient, small creatures and then just stealing kind of dinky, like, mana dorks or small utility creatures. Or, like, maybe you're going to focus more on, like, the bigger, higher power Haymaker creatures and then just only cast Nihilor kind of later in the game. So that's kind of a a deck-building decision you have to make. But once Nihilor comes down, you're really going to want things like 
conjurer's closet or Thassa deep dwelling, just some sort of like blink engine that mm-hmm. is specifically worded such that it returns the creatures not to their owner's control, but specifically to your control. So that, you know, whatever creature you take off of Nihilor, you put it into the conjurer's closet and then it comes back and it's permanently under your control. Even if Nihilor gets removed, you still have whatever you took. Uh, and and then, of course, those same blink engines, once you've like locked down all of your opponent's creatures under your control, that you can then just put Nihilor into the closet and then do it again with a new set of creatures. Yeah, I was actually, it's really funny. I was going to mention Teleportation Circle, but it is not. It's under its owner's control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was disappointed about that one. That's so sad. But yeah, this in particular with this guy, like, there's definitely tech. I think you mentioned most of the good tech, but I think the big question about Nylor is why? <laughs> like, why would I run Nylor? So we already have like esper commanders that steal things in fact we have one that looks very similar to nylor uh with mariaki or barrett uh rebarrett is that what it is i think it's rebarrett rebarrett um you all know mariaki she's been around since legends she's very good at what she does <laughs> she sacks the things she steals when she untaps um just very good nylor is is not <laughs> mm-hmm. um you kind of need creatures that are big enough to steal your opponent's creatures so yes like there's this funny little line at the end of them like when you attack with a creature an opponent owns you gain two life and that player loses two life but that's not gonna get you very far yeah that's the least important part of the card yeah so really like if you're gonna steal your opponent's creatures you need to abuse that somehow you need to sack them or something like that and then if you're gonna steal your opponent's creatures with nylor then you need them to be big enough so i think what that means is that this is just like gonna look like a bad mariaki with like some anthems in it like you're probably gonna run commander's insignia because like you you're gonna cast nylor a bunch of times you're probably gonna run like dictate of heliod mm-hmm. any of the anthems that like make your guys like significantly ab- larger yeah decently above rate like the ones we talk about liking on the show all the time <laughs> <laughs> um that is cool it just like makes me think that this deck is going to be pretty unfocused that there's going to be some people who make a nylor and they have a good time with it but i think specifically this deck exists to give people who want to play esper control but not lose friends like a Mm -hmm. commander to do that with because it's not the best (laughs) and i think it's on purpose i think that is definitely on purpose yeah, I totally agree. I just wouldn't run this over Mariecki. If I really wanted to scratch this itch, Mariecki comes down sooner. She has less hoops to jump through. It's easier to abuse her because it's a tap effect. You can just, you know, use a, I mean, use any untap effect like a Minamo or a Thousand Year Elixir or something and just start like machine gunning your opponent's creatures. There's just so many. Like a lot of the tech that's good in Nihilor um, also works in Mariecki in the sense that, like, you know, Conjurer's Closet to permanently keep a creature or whatever. Um, but Mariecki is just like more efficient and faster. And I'd rather be doing that if I was really keen on this type of gameplay. All in all, it's a solid meh for me, you know, but that's mm. kind of okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next legendary creature from this pre con is, is kind of attractive. 
Yeah. So this is Min Widely Illusionist. It's one blue blue for a one three legendary creature gnome wizard. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a one one blue illusion creature token with this creature gets plus one plus O for each other illusion you control. Whenever an illusion you control dies, you may put a permanent card with mana value less than or equal to than the creature's power from your hand onto the battlefield. So this is really, really neat, Commander. Um, yeah, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to be running a lot, a lot of like blue draw spells, especially instant speed ones, because I think, you know, like all of these draw your second card creatures, uh, doing it on your turn is pretty pretty easy it's not very difficult at all you just need to draw one extra card um triggering it triggering them on your opponent's turns is a little bit more of a challenge so you're going to want to be running you know as many ways to draw multiple cards on your opponent's turns as you can and then you're also going to be wanting some sacrifice outlets and this is where the deck uh gets really interesting because you know, even if your deck is mostly focused on spells and like card draw spells and you don't have a lot of permanence to drop in, like even just dropping lands in is fantastic. Like the idea of uh, you know, getting a, a skull clamp and clamping your illusion token, drawing two cards, dropping a land onto the battlefield, like you're drawing cards, you're ramping, and you're it I don't know, it seems very, very powerful to pull off. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think so, too. I think any, like, we kind of got the same type of thing where, like, blue can ramp with Orvar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of what this reminds me of, is it's like, oh, so I draw cards, and I get a token that I can use to ramp. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it's this kind of off-the-wall strategy that pays back in a huge way for doing something that, like, I just, I, I love drawing cards. Like, hell yeah, like. I'll I'll do that all day. Thanks for for the tokens. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even though like a lot of the cards you're going to be running, you know, they are they're going to look familiar. You know, a Mystic Remora and Ristic Study happen to be very good here because they're you know ways to draw cards on your opponent's turns. Um, and of course, like Skull Clamp is not. You know, most Commander players are familiar with that, and that's probably the best card in the deck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but there's some other interesting things going on here too. Maloku, the Clouded Mirror sort of creates a combo engine fairly easily with your commander. Uh, Maloku the Cladomir is four and a blue for a two, four legendary creature Moonfolk wizard that's flying and one return a land you control to its owner's hand, create a one, one blue illusion creature token with flying. So what you can do is use Maloku, uh, create an illusion and then return that land to your hand. And then you can sacrifice that illusion to some sort of sack outlet and then drop in the land that you had already uh, returned to your hand. So, you know, for one mana, you generate whatever your sack outlet produces. In the case of Ashnod's Altar, you could be actually going up on mana, or you could just like one mana ping somebody with a blasting station, something like that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of play to, to um, Maloku in this deck. Yeah, the Maloku is really cool. And actually, like, this is something that I. I wanted to make sure because sometimes they make like tribal commanders and they're not tribal commanders. Uh, they're like they don't actually work super well with what mm-hmm. tribe is trying to do. I was looking at what illusions exist and actually, like I'm actually don't think it's wrong to run some of these illusions as like value and then like 
ways to cheat things out. Like playing an Ixadron, like ruining your opponent's game plan, and then like sacking it to cheat in a like a caged sun. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that seems like a huge game. Like that that seems like nuts. And so I actually don't think it's necessarily wrong to run like illusionary pet as like a two mana ramp spell or like cheat like some something into play or like a mana ramp artifact or something like that like i think that's actually something that you could do with this deck and it would pay off pretty highly in between your clamping your tokens to ramp out your lands (laughs) so i actually think they did a pretty good job with this commander as far as like if you want to put like a draining whelk in your deck you'll be paid off for it yeah, I really like Phantasmal Image here. Like that's just generally a good card, and it's one of those few um, few clones that retains their creature type. So it actually remains an illusion. So you can like clone somebody's enormous creature. Uh, it'll still be an illusion. So when you sacrifice it, you can drop in something huge from your hand. That seems awesome. Uh, also, I kind of like Fathom Seer in this deck. Yeah. Uh, so that's that morph illusion where it's like basically a gush. Uh, because like returning islands to your hand is not a huge cost when you're dropping in so many islands and then of course it's a way to draw cards on your opponent's turn so you could like you know morph this flip it up on your opponent's turns get an illusion off of min it itself is an illusion sacrifice both of those to put the two lands you just bounced back into play and so it's like okay i just you know did my thing and drew two cards and it didn't really cost me anything yeah exactly and and on top of this, like you could be, uh, there could be any other number of things happening with permanents you have in play or things like that. So I, I actually really am into this. I'm not saying like jam every single illusion. Like don't don't pick up your like phantom ninjas and phantasmal mounts and yeah, maybe phantom not monsters, that. <laughs> you know. But like there, there's a few of them that are actually fun and do things that are gonna be pretty pretty good you know so yeah yeah, i like it (laughs) there's one last piece of tech i want to mention before i move on so murmuring mystic is three and a blue for a one five creature human wizard and it has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell create a one one blue bird illusion creature token with flying so it makes illusions which you can then of course sack to min uh, and then, you know, get her triggers. And of course, like the sec is running like 35 instants and sorceries. So it's going to be so easy to farm those illusions. For being another mono blue token commander, it's playing in a weird enough space that it's actually like fun and entertaining. And honestly, like in- unless you're running like Force of Will and like blue staples, ex- um, expropriates and whatnot, like this deck is really cheap to make. <laughs> like... You're you're just running all the ways to draw cards at instant speed, which are like not the most expensive cards. Like Tragic Lesson is a three mana instant and it costs what, like twenty cents? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like the most of these things that do this are um really cheap. There's been brainstorm has been reprinted like a million times. Like it's it's pretty trivial to make a min deck that works really well on a budget. That is an excellent point. You know, I was really not trying to to go super budget with this list. I like did not pay attention to the bottom line at all. And then I'm looking over here and it's like, if this deck is, you know, $300 accidentally, like, okay, you know, you cut the Ristic study, 
you cut a handful of other cards and this is like you know a hundred dollar deck no problem and you could probably yeah. go even lower than that exactly and and if you want to beef it up you could probably get some more like ridiculous uh like cart lands like i said force and force negation if you want it or like the fierce guardianship but like you really don't need it for this deck to be just really strong <laughs> mm-hmm. so i'm i'm really high on min i think this knocks it out of the park it's it's great yeah really happy with its design so the <laughs> okay so this next one uh there's a lot to say about the design can i read them off <laughs> Oh, yeah. Go for it. Okay, so this is Vrondis Rage of Ancients. This is a 5-4 Dragon Barbarian for 5 mana, 3 red-green. He has Enrage. Whenever Vrondis Rage of Ancients is dealt damage, you may create a 5-4 red and green Dragon Spirit creature token with when this creature deals damage, sacrifice it. And he also has whenever you roll one or more dice, you may have Vrondis deal one damage to itself. So this last line, don't think about it right now. We're gonna get. I want to get back to this at the end of everything. But like, the, how? What are things you want to put into this deck? Uh, uh I mean, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> there, there's yeah. so many things that synergize with this commander. Um, uh, not not a lot with his second ability, but um, yeah. but like making five fours. That's that's enormous, and there's so many things you can do with that. Like this is a perfect deck for like. You know, Kavu Lair, uh, perfect deck for Elemental Bond, Garak's Uprising, you know, Garak's Pack Leader. All of these creatures and, and enchantments that draw you a bunch of cards when big creatures enter the battlefield. So it's perfect for those. It's also great with like Warstorm Surge, Where Ancients Tread, just yeah. dealing enormous amounts of damage to your opponent as these things enter the battlefield. God, there's so much. Uh, <laughs> so like also, you know, you can run things like greater good, um, or even like, you know, Rishkar's expertise, souls, majesty, all these things just like draw you five cards off of your enormous commander and his enormous tokens. And then there's like combo potential too, because if you say like grant Vrondis indestructible via, you know, uh, an instant or an equipment or something, then you can do things like. You know, play a Dragon Tempest, which is whenever a dragon enters a battlefield under your control, it deals X damage to a creature or player, where X is the number of dragons you control. So Vrondis comes in, he pings himself with the Dragon Tempest. You know, you you grant him indestructible with like a withstand death or a heroic intervention, something. Um, and then like a new dragon, the the dragon comes in off of his enrage trigger. It shoots him with the Dragon Tempest. It dies. It keeps, but it like continually keeps going like these new dragons enter the battlefield shoot him die and and trigger him over and over again uh so so it's just so easy in this deck to get like infinite large creatures entering the battlefield and of course like you can also sacrifice them to other things in response to their own uh like sacrifice trigger and uh you can pump them into a blasting station or 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 actually just like a blasting station would can sub in for the dragon tempest here yeah mm-hmm. or like a i mean just with all the the things i've mentioned so far like if you have a kavu layer while this loop is going on you're drawing infinite cards if if you have an impact tremors or like a perforos god of the forge on the battlefield you're just dealing damage to your opponents while this is happening it's like this commander has so much to do as part of his normal game plan and then there's just a couple cards in the deck that are devoted to like 
and oops, I found these combo pieces and now I win. But like, yeah. you're, you're not going to be disappointed if, if all you do with your Vondis is like play him and then like, you know, make a bunch of five fours and turn him sideways. Yeah, exactly. Like there's so many things that over the years we've gotten because they've like uh, tried to make power matters a thing in like multiple limited environments and mm-hmm. it like never quite is good enough and limited but now we just have the benefit of they all exist here <laughs> yeah so like even just the fact that whisper of the wilds like ramps out your vrondis but then also makes mana afterwards like the fact that you have um like a, a havoc jester which is just like a five five for five but whenever you sack something deals one damage like uh the fact that essence warden and now prosperous innkeeper will give you infinite life like it's really and the Prosperous Innkeeper ramps out Verandis also with the treasure token. So it's like, there's so much going on here that's so good. Which which kind of gets me to the 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 second line of text, which is, I saw Verandis, and I'm like, oh, cool. Because, like, Barbarian class gives you, like, basically advantage on your die rolls and, like, some other stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool, the Barbarian, like, cares about dice rolling. And I looked at all the dice rolling cards that aren't uncards, and I was like, oh, I... I don't want to. I don't want to play any of these yeah. cards, which I think is a huge like fail on that regard. Like the first line of text, like the enrage ability. If Rondas just had that, I would have been like, mm, "Perfect, beautiful, wonderful boy." Love yeah, you like just building around that. You got enough cards to fill out the deck. It's no problem. Yeah, and so the fact that like they tacked on this dice rolling thing, I think it's like a trap. Like I think what's going to happen is, unless you're playing Unmander, in which case there are actually good dice rolling cards and contraptions mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So if you want Vrondis to be your Unmander, like hell yeah, like go for it. I, you have my blessings. But in Black Border Magic, like there's one good dice rolling card and it's the the wild mage what's her face that we talked about in the main set review oh (laughs) yeah yeah like there's not really enough good dice rolling to fill out the deck so like i looking at vrondis like seeing the barbarian class i was so pumped and i the fact that that just isn't gonna work until who knows like 20 years from now when we get adventures in the forgotten realms too like (laughs) like it's just that kind of sucks that blows but this guy also kicks ass. <laughs> yeah. This guy is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love him. Uh, we're going to be posting a uh, deck list in the episode description if you want to see like how we sort of built around him. But there's just so much to do with this commander. It's very yeah. exciting. And, and there's like the thing, too, is like the deck list and like what we're talking about. That's just scratching the surface. There's so many things you can do with him. So have a blast. Make some five, four dragons. Um and uh yeah let us know what you what you do with him yeah you're you're gonna have a great time we guarantee it yeah all right Um, uh moving on to the next commander uh do you mind if i read this guy off yeah sure so this is clouth unrivaled ancient and i I don't have a a lisp uh it is clouth with a th uh this is five red green for a four four legendary creature dragon with flying and haste whenever clouth and whenever clouth attacks Add X mana in any combination of colors where X is the total power of attacking creatures. Spend this mana only to cast spells. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Uh, where do you think this guy might fit into the format? What do you think his deck looks like? Dang. So <laughs> this is just kind of like 
if you wanted Nakaya to be more expensive and less hoops to jump through, that's what this reminds me of. Like mm. you attack with him and other guys, presumably get a bunch of mana. And you can, like cast some spells. Like it's a bunch of free mana. It's probably a lot of mana. It's pretty easy to get big, big mana things and gruel and big power things and gruel. Like attacking with like a malignus and Klaus is like that's a a lot of mana. But uh, I mean, it works. It works really well with like extra combat step effects. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So like, I, I mean. If you ha- are able to chain together like a relentless assault and a fury of the horde or, or something like that, um, then eventually you're just making so much mana that you can like, I don't know, comet storm the table. I don't think that's yeah, it's totally unrealistic. No, yeah, it just it's it's big mana gruel, which is a thing that has existed. So I don't think you're playing any new cards if you're building a cloth deck, but it definitely gets huge. <laughs> Yeah, and I love that it synergizes with some of the other like big mana combat damage commanders we've seen over the years. Like uh, old Gnawbones easily fits into this deck because like mm. you're essentially getting twice as much mana for doing the same thing. Uh, same with Neheb the Eternal, also gets basically as much mana as you need for just turning your guys sideways. And then of course, like y- you can run. Wolfgar of Icewind Dale in this deck and get double your mana as well. And we'll, we'll yeah. talk about him in just a second. <laughs> yeah, because the this deck is pretty boring. I shouldn't say boring. This deck is pretty generic, I should say. It's, you're just going to be running some good gruel cards. But Wolfgar of Icewind Dale is a 4-4 human barbarian for 5 mana, 3 red-green. He has melee, which is the mechanic from Conspiracy? Is that what it was? Uh, um, yes. Conspiracy 2. And so melee is when this creature attacks, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each opponent you attacked this turn. So uh, if you just are sending him at someone, he's a five, five. If you're sending him at one person and another creature at another person, they both get plus two, plus two, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But he also has this line of text. If a creature you control attacking would cause a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So... On the surface, the melee gives plus two, plus two per person you attack, but like mm-hmm. that's that's not what we're we're not we're not doing <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, we've got much better things to do with this commander. Um, so you know, I was looking through all the the possible things and that like have attack triggers, and there's a couple things that I was surprised how many like mana generation effects there are in this color identity. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was looking at things like, um, say, well, Clouth for for one example, but also like Hoarding Ogre from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms that creates one to between one and three treasures whenever it attacks. Um, Also, like Grand Warlord Rada, Goldspan Dragon. Conduit of Storms, Cheering Fanatic, sort of, Captain Lannery Storm. There's things like Sword of Animist, which is a permanent with an attack trigger, so it will also get multiple lands when you're it's on a creature attacking with Wolfgar out. So there's just a whole lot of things that like help you ramp when you're you're turning them sideways. And so I think those work really well because they not only help you get your Wolfgar down earlier, but once he's out, you've just have absurd amounts of mana like in my play testing with the deck i quickly got to the point where it's like i've got so much mana and the the 
the trouble at this point is just figuring out what to do with it. And often the answer is like, well, I'll play my uh, Beastmaster Ascension, get twice as many counters every combat and win the game that way. Or you can just like run uh, like Aggravated Assault because if all your creatures generate mana when they turn sideways, then that is an easy infinite combo. Uh, or you can just run a lot of uh, card draw, like Commune with Lava or Wheel of Misfortune, and then just like keep building up your board with all this extra mana that your board is producing. Pretty nutso. And that, that's kind of like why, um, like looking at Wolfgar and comparing to Cloth uh, that we just saw, it's like Wolfgar does everything that Cloth does, but like way cooler. Like way better. Like you're still generating tons of mana and you're casting these huge spells and doing these huge like having these huge turns, but you're like it's way cooler. <laughs> and well, then on top of that you have like so many just other things going on too. There's so many cards that just like trigger triggering twice is just absolutely insane. Uh, I'll I'll defend Clouth a little bit uh it's certainly powerful it i mean it does kind of reward you for doing whatever you want yeah. but i think it's still like a neat card and the only reason that it mm, doesn't look as cool as like wolfgar or Vrondis is just that they're both really great designs that like add a lot to the format like yeah i think all of all three of these girl commanders are, are pretty solid and it's just yeah Clouth is maybe a little less exciting but it's it's super interesting like in our last episode, I was talking about how like old Nawbone and um, old Nawbone and what, what's they called Belladross Witherbloom uh, are sort of like two examples in this possible trend of green commanders that cost seven mana but basically refund their cost immediately. And Clouth is another in that trend. Like it's another seven mana commander that basically will give you all your mana back if you have any other attackers. And then one of our patrons actually mentioned that like Omnath uh, 4.0 also kind of falls in that trend of a recent green commander that refunds its cost. So I I think this is just going to be how Wizards looks to design expensive green commanders going forward. I, I think, you know, when it was just when I could only think of two, I was reluctant to call it a trend. But now I'm thinking this might really be a thing. Yeah, this is just like what it's going to be moving forward. And I think even like not even looking at like big green commanders, like even Jorn like refunds himself, you know, <laughs> like like maybe not that turn because he's cheap, but like just the, the they keep playing in these spaces with mana for these green commanders. And it, I think that's just how they think people want to play green now mm -hmm. they're like oh you're playing green why don't we give you as much mana as you want <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's that's a a lot it's pretty crazy yeah well, one last thing i'll mention about wolfgar before we move on to the rakdos commanders just in playing with him like because all of his i mean because he focuses on on attack triggers haste is just so so important to this deck you really need to be able to to turn your guys sideways immediately. So look for creatures with attack triggers that have haste, or like look to put a lot of haste granters in your deck because it's just it just feels really lame when you like have your Wolfgar out and you're waiting for to draw something that'll trigger him, and you plop down like an Atali, and it's like next turn I'm I'm gonna have a, a real big turn, 
you know, like 10 or 15 minutes from now and it finally comes back around to me. So just be aware that to really, you're going to need some uh, ways to accelerate things if you want to play this guy. Yeah. Yeah, but man, are you going to be rewarded? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh boy, wow. Um, so that's the, that's the Gruel deck. I guess let's get on to the 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 next deck, which was the the Rakdos one. So, uh, can I read off this first guy? Sure. So, Prosper Tomebound is a one four Tiefling Warlock for four mana, two black red. Uh, he has Death Touch, and he has two of those like flavor text abilities. Uh, one of them is Mystic Arcanum. At the beginning of your end step, exile the top card of your library until end of your next turn. You may play that card. And Pact Boon, whenever you play a card from exile, create a treasure token. Two things involving exile. Like, what is what does this add up to? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty good incentive to play things from exile. Like, essentially yeah. <laughs> making, you know, refunding some of the mana. That's pretty darn good. And there's a lot of ways to do it in this color identity. Not only can you run like all the impulse draw effects, like, you know, Jessica's will act on impulse, etc. But Cascade will also trigger this guy. Uh, so I'm, I'm running like Throws of Chaos, for example, in my list. Uh, another thing that works well is Madness, actually, because when you're discarding things to Madness, you're, you're actually discarding them to Exile and then casting them from there. So if you wanted to build a, a madnessy version of that deck, uh, it's not too difficult. Although I will say that, uh, you know, despite it being in Modern Horizons 2, despite kind of blowing it out for one of the Commander Precons previously, uh, I don't think there's very many strong madness cards. So keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. No, I just think it's in... Because uh, a lot of madness cards are, like, pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, like, if you do have a good discard outlet, going like you'll be able to chain through them pretty quickly i think that's interesting it like I, I think like it's not an incentive to jam every madness card but it's like they're the only thing that prosper well actually prosper just wants you to get things into exile and to cast them so what that means is like like when we interviewed jules robbins about red and impulse draw he's like well no we don't want this to be as strong as draw like he's like that's the whole point Mm -hmm. So a lot of the cards that impulse draw are like not very highly played. There's like some exceptions. I think like what's the outpost siege is played in a lot of decks, mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. But like they're, some of the coolest cards we've gotten in the last like few years, are like theater of horrors. Like if anyone remembers that from Return to Return to Ravnica, like uh, it's a Rakdos enchantment, one black red at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top card of your library. During your turn, if an opponent has lost life, you may play cards exiled with Theater of Horrors. Uh, and then it has four ping something, which is fun, but like you really don't need to do that. Like The fact that Theater of Horrors is basically drawing you a card a turn, and then all you got to do is deal a damage and Prosper starts refunding you a bunch of the mana for spending mm -hmm. all the cards off of it. Like That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that card on top of like so many other cards just light up the stage alone is already a good card and jessica's will is already a good card and now they're even better cards here <laughs> and that's really cool yeah uh so we have a list for this one as well uh, a couple 
pieces of tech I wanted to point out that seem really neat. Um, Dream Devourer from Kaldheim is one to black for a zero three creature demon cleric, and basically it allows you to foretell anything from your hand, and it and then like its uh, foretell cost gets reduced by two. So that's just a very simple way to trigger your commander with any spell without it costing any more. Also, because you're making a bunch of treasure, like Zorn from Adventures in the Kamat. Uh, forgotten realms with which doubles your treasure production uh that's worth noting academy manufacturer from modern horizons 2 if you would create a clue for food or treasure token instead create one of each uh, that's something that also works really well gives you some you know life or cards in addition to your treasure production uh, and then brea's apprentice is two and a red for a two three artifact creature human artificer when enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token, and then you can sacrifice an artifact to either exile the top card of your library and then play it between now and the end of the, your next turn, or give target creature plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn. So Freya's Apprentice allows you, you can just sack the token made by Prosper and then cast something off the top of your library and then immediately trigger Prosper and get your treasure back. So it's just a, an easy card advantage engine for the deck. Really cool. I, I saw Prosper and was like, huh, don't know if I care about that. And then like kept thinking about it and kept looking into it and being like, like oh, 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 that triggers it. Oh, wait, that triggers it. <laughs> like, Yeah. My initial thought was like, oh, this is just going to be like Rakdos, good stuff, Rakdos control. But it's like Rakdos cards that you wanted to play but didn't get to because they were really bad and now they're not bad. <laughs> it's like, like it amounts to a deck that has a lot of interaction and stuff like that, but you're doing it in like such an obtuse way that it, it is actually like really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really high on prosper. Yeah. He's quite sweet. Uh, all right, moving on to the next Rakdos commander. This is Karazakar, the eye tyrant three black red for a five, five legendary creature beholder. Whenever you attack a player tap target creature, that player controls and goad it. Uh, so as a reminder, Goad is until your next turn, that creature attacks each combat if able and attacks a player other than you if able. Uh, then whenever an opponent attacks another one of your opponents, you and the attacking player each draw a card and lose one life. Just kind of looking at this card, it looks a little bit like an Edric or a Brina on a time delay in in the sense that like it's basically your attacking creature's that are connected to this future card draw that's going to come when your goaded creatures turn sideways. So I think that means that you're going to try to run similar cards that you would run in an Edric deck. You're going to be running like just cheap, evasive creatures that can attack without you know, fear of getting blocked or, or repercussions. And then, of course, you're going to like get your cards back, get the cards you spend on these, these crappy, evasive creatures when the goaded creatures turn sideways. It took me a while to like really think about Karakazar here. Uh wait, Karazikar. There we go. <laughs> Said that right. <laughs> Cause at first I didn't like him. At first I was like pretty down on him. Um and, and it was specifically like giving opponents cards. But then like the more I thought about him, the more I realized that like uh, you're taking away so much agency from your opponents. Like now they have to have multiple blockers before they're safe from your board. And then they can't even hit you on the, the smack back. Like, they, 
their their best creature is goaded and yeah they're getting a card out of it but it seems like you're orchestrating the situation in such a way that the card that you're giving them isn't actually as big a deal if that makes sense so i think i like him now Mm -hmm. um but i understand that people might feel like i did it first and be like oh no i just don't want to give my opponents cards under like any circumstance because like unlike brina which is just like i get virtually nothing (laughs) for (laughs) for you attacking my opponents it's like no 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 you have to attack my opponent i get to hit you we both draw a card uh deal with it (laughs) and that seems a lot better to me i guess it's like keeping the game moving in a way that's really good for you i guess Mm. so i i don't I, I think I like him a lot. I think I think now it took me literally until this morning, but I think I like him now. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, it is worth noting that he is uh, one of the more expensive cards in this like design space. Like you know, Edric and Timna and Grazalax, they're all three mana. Uh, how much is Brina? Is she four mana? Three three mana. Brina is also three mana. Okay. Yeah, Brina is three mana. Uh, so. Whereas those guys, like you can play evasive creature on turn one, one or two evasive creatures on turn two, and then immediately recoup your value. With this guy, it's going to take a little bit longer and there's just more opportunities for your opponents to like kind of prepare an answer for him, like dig for removal or like, you know, wipe the board and get rid of the, the evasive creatures you've been dropping down. Um, so that's something to keep in mind is he, like his higher mana cost makes the game plan more fragile. Cause like, you know, once you've got an Edric and two or three guys attacking and then like, you know, once you like untap the following turn, it's like, okay, I've got a whole bunch of counter spells and I'm drawing more every turn. I feel like I can adequately protect my commander, but like Karazakar, you're dropping him turn five. You don't really have protection up. Your opponents are much more likely to have answers by then. I, I don't know. It, it's something to keep in mind like when evaluating him relative to these other similar commanders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I definitely think that's true because black red doesn't have a lot of like protection stuff. Like we have this weird critical mass of like when this dies, bring it back cards now, like instance. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't think I would play those in this deck, but it's the, the point being that like, there's not a lot of good ways to protect your board in black red. There's just kind of like reanimation and stuff like that. So I think that that's a very important thing to keep in mind. It just I I also have been completely wrecked by cards similar to this. So I'm like, I think the power level lies somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> I think because I don't think you're gonna get completely blown out by car as a car, but it just reminds me of the arguments why like wheels are bad. Because like you're giving your opponents cards when you when you wheel, but you're also like taking away agency when you do that by like they can't keep their hand, they can't really plan on what they're gonna do. That like um, if they might draw a hand with no lands. Like you, you can't account for the randomness. I feel like that's kind of part of Karazakar for me too. Is like the advantage you're giving your opponents is like not as great as the advantage you're getting from it because you knew it was going to happen mm-hmm. so you're totally right i think like very very easy to disrupt um but i think people are 
gonna like it <laughs> i think that's i think there's uh, a subset of people I, this is what i think rakdos cards should look like i guess is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. like i think rakdos players are gonna look at this card and be like oh hell yeah <laughs> um and which i think means it's a good design um mm-hmm. where like prosper appeals to other players who might not want to play Rakdos. <laughs> yeah. Where they go, oh man, like look at all this value I'm getting, which is not something Rakdos players think about a lot of the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um so I think like between the two of them they did a pretty good job of like creating a spread of interesting things to do. Yeah, I I totally agree. Uh you ready to move on to the next commander? Yes, the next one is is uh interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anti-tribal very cool uh mm-hmm. lorcan warlock collector is five black black for a six six legendary creature devil it has flying and whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere you may pay life equal to its mana value if you do put it onto the battlefield under your control it's a warlock in addition to its other types and if a warlock you control would die exile it instead so this uh... I don't know. This looks a little bit like mono black control to me. Um, like uh, some of the easiest ways you can get uh, creature cards into your opponent's graveyards are like, you know, forcing them to discard. You can, of course, use all your black spot removal. There's some very, very limited self or like milling capability in mono black. Like it's it's pretty much just like mesmeric orb and maybe one or two other cards. But like as I was building the deck and like, oh, I definitely want this you know mass discard effect and oh i definitely want like flesh bag marauders because that'll kill a bunch of creatures at once it just started to look like a turgrid deck because like the a lot of the things that work best with lorcan also work with turgrid Mm -hmm. uh except like you know turgrid will also get lands and other permanents that your opponents discard uh and turgrid comes down a couple turns sooner and you know she doesn't permanently exalting well i don't know if that matters so much but just kind of keep in mind that you're going to be playing in the same space as turgrid so if your metagame really doesn't like turgrid that's something you should consider uh and also like you know it it's a lot harder to cast a seven mana commander and then untap and do things than it is to cast a five mana commander and untap and do (laughs) things yeah this is um uh, I mean, again, if it's into the mono B squad, um, sure are doing mono black things. Yep. And uh, it, that being said, I think uh, the fact that this is a seven mana commander in mono black means that you are one thousand percent running the mono black suite of the cable coffers, like probably Magus of the coffers, mm-hmm. your crypt gas, your all of the things, everything in mono black that is is good and cares about swamps and getting mana and blah blah blah. That like is not i think is like a necessity for a deck like this where you just need that much mana and again like you said i i I don't think this is anything new i just think it's interesting um and i can't remember if you went over the tech for the deck did you talk about the the like conspiracy and stuff like that oh i have not please um tell us how conspiracy interacts with lurkan yes so um something to note whenever you see black commanders that care about a creature type is obviously like conspiracy is a card that comes to mind and conspiracy is five mana uh conspiracy is three black black for an enchantment as it enters the battlefield choose a creature type 
Creature cards you own that aren't in play, creature spells you control, and creatures you control are the chosen type. And unlike things like Xenograft or Arcane Adaptation or some of the other cards like this, uh, it makes them the chosen type, but not in addition to their other types. It actually overwrites it. Yeah, Um, yeah. The overwriting is the important part here because what ends up happening is you get these creatures. They are warlocks, but just kidding. They're goblins or whatever stupid pests that you pick with your your uh conspiracy it conspiracy exactly so when they die you don't exile them (laughs) yep so you can create loops basically um where you have a conspiracy out you it's no you steal an opponent's creature it's a pest now that it's under your control it dies and it goes to your opponent's graveyard and if you want you can pay life to put it back under your control (laughs) So, yeah, there are crazy. Yeah, there are a handful of cards that allow you to sacrifice something and like gain a certain amount of life. Like in my list, I put in Disciple of Grizzlebrand, which is two cost one one human cleric. Pay one, sacrifice a creature. You gain life equal to the sacrifice creature's toughness. So this is useful in general in Lorcan because you know if you think one of your warlocks is about to die, you can recoup most of the life you paid to get it. Um, but in this specific case, if you've got your conspiracy, you've got your Lorcan, you've got some like square statted creature an opponent has, uh, you can just pay one, sacrifice this 4-4 or whatever, goes to an opponent's graveyard, you can pay like equal to its mana cost to get it back, and just kind of like loop whatever effect it has. Yeah, so th- that's uh, like some cool tech. I think the fact that your commander is a built-in like processor <laughs> like this built-in engine if you have enough mana and stuff to do like that's kind of cool yeah um other tech that is just uh something you should probably play in your Lorcan deck is like mesmeric orb um when your opponents mill those those guys they you can pay life and bring them on over so pretty easy you can put it down way way before he comes down so that once he's here you kind of don't need to invest much more mana stinging study is uh just a black staple from c21 this year the strixhaven decks uh five mana instant draw cards equal to draw cards and lose life equal to your commanders one of your commanders cmc so seven for seven cards for five mana and instant speed it's pretty good yep (laughs) not not a bad thing and then um Paying all that life means that you're going to need to get some of that life back. So like a Whip of Erebos is pretty good here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to get you life back. You're going to attack with big creatures that you didn't pay any mana for that are going to give you life back. It's just uh, as someone who's been going through the exploration of like what are the best life gain spells in Witherbloom, uh, turns out just hitting with a big life linker. <laughs> <laughs> is one of the best life gain spells. So yeah, I guess that's Lorcan. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna mention that we didn't say? Uh no, I think that that's the major tech. But we have a list, of course, that we're gonna post in the episode description. So go ahead and check that out when you get the chance. Yeah, and so now we're into the Bant list. So this is the green, white, blue list, and uh, the theme they did. Well, actually, let's just see if you can guess the theme from from the face commander. Do you, do you care if I read them off? Go right ahead. So this is Galia, Kindler of Hope. And I'm pretty sure I said that right, but who knows. Um, They are a 4-4 elf knight with vigilance. And they have 
Uh, and they cost four mana. They cost one green, white, blue. They say, uh, they say, they have, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast aura and equipment spells from the top of your library. When you cast an equipment spell this way, it gains, when this equipment enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. So, uh, some little housekeeping notes. Uh, it's only equipment that you cast from the top of your library with Kalia. Um, so this is not like equipment from hand. Don't auto equip. Like if you had a cigar to Zayd in play. So that is something to note. Something that you might care about. Um, but yeah, do you want to start getting into the the nitty gritty? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll I'll get into uh one one thing I do want to mention before we sort of dive into what this deck looks like. Um. I think I heard a wizard's employee pronounce it Gallia, which is weird because then it would be like the same thing I've been calling the green red satyr commander from Theros Beyond Death. Oh, <laughs> so it it may be incorrect, but I'm also going to continue using Galia just to differentiate those two. Yeah, I mean, it also might be the case that they finally finally they're, they're just two names. willing to I well <laughs> Arguably, depending on how you pronounce uh, Angie Falconrath, if you're one of the, the heretics who say Anya, then we, they've already crossed that barrier. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, moving on to this deck. So this is a really strange commander because typically if you're trying to focus on aura and equipment stuff, then you're building a Voltron deck and Galia doesn't really have any of the characteristics you would want in a Voltron commander. She doesn't have evasion. She's not like a, she, her like power to cost ratio is one to one. Uh, she doesn't have protection and she doesn't have haste. So like, okay, I get that it's a little easier to get my aura and equipment spells, but I would like my commander to do some of the work. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like there's Rafik in this color identity that, you know, has double strike and like scales really well with, you know, any kind of power pumping effects you want to do. So I just don't fully get why you would use her unless you're you're not trying to do Voltron and you're focusing on like auras that kind of do other things for you, which is kind of how I built the deck. Um, so for example, like there's a lot of, or well, there's a fair number of ramp auras, things like Overgrowth, Wild Growth, Utopia Sprawl, uh, Wolf Willow Haven, Fertile Ground, just like auras that go onto your lands and ramp you a little bit. There's a fair bit of that. Uh, there's also a lot of controlling auras. So, you know, if you put your Heliod's Punishment on your opponent's creatures or like, you know, a Imprisoned in the Moon or a Song of the Dryad, there's a lot of things that can lock down your opponent's permanence and their commanders especially. So that seems like another good category of cards to cast off of Galia. Um, and then that, that's kind of like the direction I, I took the deck. There's a handful of cards that are kind of like focused on turning Galia into uh, a lethal threat, like casting a Colossus Hammer off the top and immediately popping it onto Galia seems pretty nice. Same with Blackblade Reforged. But that's generally not what I was focusing on with my build. I was kind of going for like, you know, value and control rather than Voltron, because there's just better ways to do Voltron. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this is it's weird 
this is the card advantage that you're putting into this Voltron. Like, I feel like the Voltron is like secondary to mm. Galia, which is really weird. <laughs> like, yeah. like it seems like this is a Voltron commander in function only because of the cards that she's telling you to play, not because she is particularly adept at Voltroning. <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually don't know if this is mm, I'm I'm trying to choose my words very carefully. I would not be surprised if this is actually a very good deck, but my gut is that it is not. <laughs> yeah. I think some people saw it and like made the comparison to Elsha who like actually is busted because it mm-hmm. it looks a little bit like that but just like these card types don't do any of the same things that like Elsha is typically doing with her ability. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. I think that is a pretty that's a pretty apt comparison. All right. Uh I think we can move on to the next commander. And and if we it sounds like we're dumping on Galia, I will say that Galia's precon has like clearly the most value of any of them. So yeah. I'm, you know, Definitely. You're not going to be unhappy if you buy this deck, and no, maybe and it's better yeah. than we're giving it credit for. Yeah, I also want to say that Galia, like this, is definitely just also for not us. Like this deck was not built for players like me and Nick, and and not built for metas that like me and Nick play, play in. in. Yeah, to so like it might be the case that Galia is like an absolute house in your meta, but I. I don't think I could take a Galia and like hope to win too many games in my meta. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe like the card advantage is just bonkers. <laughs> but <laughs> but um uh I don't know. It's the kind of deck I'm gonna try out on Cockatrice for a while and see how it is. Yeah. Uh moving on to the next Bant Commander. This is Storvald Frost Giant Jarl. Uh four green, white, blue. For a 7-7 legendary creature giant with ward 3. It also has other creatures you control have ward 3. And whenever Storvald enters the battlefield or attacks, choose one or both. Target creature has base power and toughness 7-7 until end of turn. Or target creature has base power and toughness 1-1 until end of turn. So there's a lot of ways to build around this. Um, it it kind of reminds me a little bit of... Volrath the shape stealer in the sense that like you know Volrath is essentially becoming a seven power version of the other creatures in your deck so like Cephalid Constable Cold-Eyed Selkie uh, you can either you know bounce permanence equal to its power or draw cards equal to its power um, Glenn from Secret Lair of the Walking Dead he also like draws cards equal to the damage dealt when he deals combat damage uh, and then there's a couple of cards that like add mana equal to their power or the power of the greatest you know, or the greatest power among creatures you control. So that's like Marwin the Nurturer, uh, Selvala 2.0, and Viridian Joiner. So there's a lot of ways to build around the the embiggening that Storvald can do for you. So uh, another thing that Storvald made me think about was um, Vadi Ildal which is a black green commander from the olden days that has tap target creatures power or toughness becomes one. 
Um, and in that deck in black green, it's pretty easy to give creatures minus one toughness, but it's also not impossible in Bant. Like there are some cards that put minus one minus one counters on creatures, and in which case you attack with Storval and just like kill <laughs> whatever, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. So there's that kind of stuff too. The best ones in these colors are because because I I have been looking for a deck to frogify stuff in and have not been able to find it in a while. Like one that I really like, um, but like Umazawa's Jite works like pretty good if you can just make something a one one you're like oh that's pretty nice uh pretty nice uh inferno titan you got there shame if it was a one one (laughs) (laughs) and that kind of happens that's that's a pretty good thing to build into Uh, serrated arrows is pretty good and then uh it's not a minus one minus one but it um and honestly just shot up because people are insane uh acorn catapult acorn catapult deals one damage to target creature and it gives it two to any target and then it gives the uh owner of that target um a squirrel mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was kind of a joke card but honestly in Storvald, like that killing a relevant creature and replacing it with a squirrel seems like pretty good so um that's some some tech there you, you mentioned like making things big on your side which is good there's there is a little bit you can do uh, on top of just like making their blocks really bad with Storvald. Yeah, I've I've heard people talking about like running other pingers in this deck in addition to Acorn Catapult, like Prodigal Sorcerer, that kind of thing. I don't know how good that is because they're just like so kind of marginal when Storvald's <laughs> not out. And they're also like more fragile than things like GTA or Serrated Arrows or Acorn Catapult. But try, give it a try. Let us know how it works out. Um, one thing I... I uh, probably should have mentioned like i may have buried the lead a little bit but i should have mentioned this earlier uh in fact seems really really good to, to oh. build around the, <laughs> the the embiggening so i think it's really going to be easy for you to spend the first couple turns of the game like p- playing your weenie infect creatures maybe getting in like you know three poison on a couple people and then storvald's going to come down and you make your um, blighted agent a seven seven and then it just finishes the job um so that's kind of another direction you can take with Storvald. but now that we've kind of like gotten through the tech uh i'll say that Storvald's just incredibly incredibly expensive like <laughs> you know I, I i kind of like applaud wizards for all those seven mana commanders we were talking about earlier that immediately refund their cost but Storvald does not do that if you're building around him, you're going to have six turns of the game where you're kind of doing nothing and just waiting for your commander comes out. And like, you know, God forbid he gets countered or something. Uh, and then you have to wait another two turns to, to try to play magic again. It seems pretty rough to me. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? No, I think it is too. I think like this is the kind of card that I see and I'm like, oh yeah, because it's like a weird build around ability on a commander that won't make me feel bad for playing some like busted cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's going to be like a lot of my other experiments where I put it together and I'm hoping that it'll be better than the sum of its parts and it really isn't is kind of what I'm the vibe I'm getting from this after like failing enough times uh-huh. <laughs> making these kind of decks so 
as much as I like what Storvald is doing, and as much as I like the cards that you can play in Storvald, it I don't think it's the strongest. This is a, a deck that like, if I had a very wide range of players in my meta, and I needed a deck that was low power, and I needed some decks that were high power, I might pick this as my low power deck. Mm-hmm. Is kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, all right i think we can move on to the uh, last commander in this precon which is oh man i hope i pronounced this right Cadabri. i think so Cadabri of mithril hall green white for a 2-2 legendary creature human archer she has first strike and reach and whenever Cadabri of mithril hall attacks put a plus one plus one counter on it for each equipment attached to it and then you can pay one and remove all plus and plus one counters from Cadabri, and it deals X damage to target attacking or blocking creature and opponent controls, where X is the number of counters removed this way. Uh, what do you think about Cadabri, and, and how would you go about building around her? Uh, I mean, so she's just kind of a Voltron commander. She's cheap. I think, like, the whole point of Cadabri is, like, there's really not too much going on here. You do get some tech in that, like, Death Touch equipment is pretty good. Um, putting plus one, plus one counters on her is pretty good. But the thing that I don't necessarily like about her is that if you are loading up on the plus one, plus one counters, using that one mana remove all plus one, plus one counters is pretty bad. You can't distribute it amongst attacking. No, oh, no, 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 no. no. It yeah. is just one. It is just one creature. So... You pay one, you remove all the counters, and it's pretty bad if you have like four counters, but she has death touch to like just ping an attacking or blocking creature. <laughs> yeah. Um I definitely don't love that. There are some ways you can like add multiple counters to her over sort of over time. So you can like shoot something, add a counter, shoot something, but that's the the rate is generally not that great for those. I was thinking that you could potentially like force your opponents to attack like with a bloodthirsty blade that one equipment that you you can't put on your own creatures you can only attach it to your opponent's things and then they're goaded um so that might be a way to kind of like force the the good or like your opponent's best targets into the fray so that you can then snipe them down with Cadabri. i just hate that Cadabri, kind of like galia also does not have anything that a Voltron commander needs. Like like she's telling you, oh, put equipment on me and it'll I'll and and that's just what I want from you. Um but like first strike and reach are a really crappy combination of keywords in Commander. They're just not mm-hmm. super useful compared to, you know, evasion or like a hexproof or something like that. And Cadabri again doesn't have evasion, doesn't have haste doesn't have a way to protect herself uh and you kind of have to invest a lot of mana and a lot of cards before her like power to cost ratio becomes something respectable so it's just so weird that this voltron deck has like all the commanders are are terrible for voltron they, <laughs> they just like don't have anything you need or they're incredibly expensive i, I don't i don't really know what's going on with this deck yeah, so Cadbury is like one of the adventurers and eventual wife of Drizzt. So, like, if you read those books or like care about the lore, this might be like a character that you cared about. But other than that, because I don't, I don't know much about 
that lore as a person myself so like uh other than that i don't really know if i would care i would i will say that like it, it's flavorful that an archer has first strike and reach that's like oh yeah of course those things make sense on an archer even if they're not very good <laughs> as a voltron thing so uh, yeah it's just like to me it just seems like a cheap voltron list like um you're in white green so honestly like these days it's pretty easy to protect your commander uh, she comes down really early um it just kind of seems unremarkable but i think they are trying to get away with that because this character is uh beloved by uh, a subset of the the population it was very considerate of them to make her the same color identity as drizzt so you could run your catapri in a drizzt deck yeah or vice versa you know yeah. so so yep there you go those are the commanders for the set oh it actually didn't take us too long you know a little over an hour so there's some main deck cards we're going to talk about and then we'll we'll be on. I don't think this is going to be a four-hour episode like the last one, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a good moment for an intermission. Uh, if you need to take a sip of water before we jump into the main deck cards, please do so. So uh, we're just going to go in Wooburg order. So that means white is first, and our first card is Fae Steed. This is a 4-4 four, four elk for four mana, two white-white. They have whenever Fae Steed attacks, another target attacking creature you control gains indestructible until end of turn. Whenever a creature or planeswalker you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. Um, how do you feel about this? So this looks like a combination of two cards. There's Tyrannica, I think a Crowan veteran. She was printed in Theros Beyond Death, and when she attacks, she makes something else a 4-4 and it gains indestructible. That looks kind of similar to the first ability, and then Shaper Sanctuary from Ixalan uh, looks pretty similar to the second ability. And and that's a single mana for a uh, green enchantment. Uh, whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell or ability and opponent controls, you may draw a card. So neither of those cards really sees any play in Commander, at, at least according to EDH Rec. And I don't think that the combination of them really is is going to do big numbers. Like if I want something indestructible... There's easier ways to do it. I would rather just like slap on a dark steel plate and not have to worry about my face seed dying before it gets to attack and grant indestructible. And of course, like, you know, face seed only gives indestructible until end of turn, whereas a dark steel plate is going to do it forever. So I, I'm not super high on this card. I, I just don't think I would want to run this. Yeah, this is the kind of card that would be like an insane limited bomb. Like, mm -hmm. would be, like, a mythic rare in a regular set, but, like, really doesn't amount to much in Commander. Um, what What is that one Fortel Mastodon from Kaldheim that, like, draws cards when your stuff is targeted? What's oh, yeah. Called? Great question. Um, <laughs> great, yeah, great question. Uh, Battle Mammoth, it's called. Yeah. And... It's currently seeing play. I mean, it hasn't been that long since Kaldheim release, so maybe it's unfair that to to criticize it for only being in 842 decks. But uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, compare that to the other cards in Kaldheim, though. You yeah, know, yeah, and, no, it, it's definitely not doing great. Yeah, so it's like this. That effect isn't really enough to warrant a card, and and so that's this is my problem with this card. Is it's one of those cards where I can look at it, I look at the mana cost, I look at the body, I look at the effects, and I go, okay, I can see that this is definitely four mana worth of value, 
but is it value I want? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is no with this guy. Uh, I'll also note that Battle Mammoth triggers off of any permanent you control being targeted, whereas Face Seed is only creatures and planeswalkers. So yeah, green continues the trend of being strictly better at things white does. Nice. So, moving along. We'll see more of that later. When we get to uh, yeah, don't, don't worry. We'll get there. All right, moving on to the next card. This is Holy Avenger. Two and a white for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature has double strike. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage, you may put an aura card from your hand onto the battlefield attached to it, and it has equip for two and a white. Worth noting that uh, the auras you drop in can only be attached to the creature, so this is really only useful in a Voltron strategy. Like You can't drop in ramp auras onto your lands, you can't drop in a dark, a dark steel mutation onto your opponent's creatures. Um, this is like solely a Voltron type of ability. And I just don't really like it more than Fire Shrieker. I think that with my Voltron decks, I tend to focus a bit more on equipment than auras. And this being like more expensive to equip than a Fire Shrieker and in a more narrow color identity just makes it not incredibly attractive to me. Yeah, I think like the promise of a Wombo combo means this is going to be an equipment that we do see get played. People love magical Christmas land. They they hang out there. They they have picnics there in their mind. You know they they go there on their days off. So I think that alone is going to mean that people are going to just jam this card. The upside is really high. So even though Fire Shrieker is better, if I just want the double strike, I think people are going to just kind of put this in their whatever Voltron lists and kind of just go to go to town. So. I think overall I agree with you, but that that doesn't mean that I don't think people are going to try, <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> Which I guess if you're good to move on, the next card uh, also is it's kind of a weird one. So this is Immovable Rod. It is a white artifact. It costs a single white. It has, you may choose not to untap Immovable Rod during your untap step. It also has, whenever Immovable Rod becomes untapped, venture into the dungeon. And it has three and a white tap. For as long as Immovable Rod remains tapped, another target permanent loses all abilities and can't attack or block. For the non-D&D people, an Immovable Rod is this magic object that, like, you activate it and it just stays where it is in space. So, and, like, nothing can move it. Players really like this item because you can get really clever with it and like do a lot of damage or in the art it's pinning down someone by their cape so like now they're they basically probably are going to have to rip their cape to get out like mm -hmm. stuff like that so the item in D, D is is really cool fan favorite the artifact in magic um <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about it uh i'm i'm pretty low on this the only commander i can think of that is going to be really good at tapping and untapping this like okay i'll start by saying that i don't think the activation is good paying four mana to kind of just detain something isn't that awesome although like making something lose abilities there there's play with that but it's still like pretty expensive for what you're getting out of it so i was kind of looking at it as like oh well you know it, it is pretty good to tap and untap something or to venture it into the dungeon a bunch of times and maybe by tapping and untapping you could do that but the only commander I can think of that can really do that effectively is Derevi Imperial Tactician. So, mm -hmm. like, if you got a Derevi deck with a bunch of like evasive tokens or whatever, 
you could potentially like put all your Derevi triggers on the immovable rod and like, you know, tap and untap it a bunch of times. That's kind of generally worse than what you're already doing with those Derevi untap triggers. You know, like in Derevi, there's so many creatures that like tap to create a token. So you could be doubling your tokens every turn with Derevi, or you can just be like venturing into the dungeon a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You know, for most of the dungeons, that doesn't really accomplish anything. Like, uh, okay, I'm going to go three levels deep into the dungeon of the Mad Mage, and I'll gain a life and scry one and make a treasure, like, versus making a whole bunch of tokens or, or whatever else you're doing in your Derevi deck. I agree. I think this is a card that doesn't have the infrastructure to be very good yet. Mm-hmm. I think that it, uh, maybe someday we'll get more cards that are printed that like make this card good, but as it stands now, it's just kind of a weird uh <laughs> like weird pseudo utility card. Um, Because for tap, like if you're just using it for that aspect, that seems pretty bad. I understand that it's like Faith's Fetters that you can move around, but like that doesn't seem super good (laughs) to me, you know? So I was thinking like maybe there's some loop you could do with Clock of Omens where you like tap a movable rod and something else to untap a movable rod to venture because... If you're going through like the Mines of Fandelver, uh, you can loop through it pretty quickly. You end up getting like a treasure, which you can tap through it too, and and um, drawing cards and et cetera, et cetera. So it's like I just feel like it's so close to being a thing that you can loop and like combo out with, and it's not there. So there you go. Yep, I agree. This next white card is is actually pretty interesting. Do you wanna do you wanna get into this one? Sure. Um, so this is Mantle of the Ancients. It's three white white for an enchantment aura, enchant creature you control. When Mantle of the Ancients enters the battlefield, return any number of target aura and or equipment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to enchanted creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus one for each aura and equipment attached to it. So like a lot of the other similar cards we've been mentioning, uh, such as Holy Avenger, you the auras you get back have to be attached to enchanted creature, so you can't use them to get back like ramp auras and if you get back a dark new mutation it's not going to be great for you because mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to put it on your own guy so that's something to take in consideration um i do like that this kind of retether effect is an aura rather than a sorcery so you can search it out with like your open the armory or your heliod's pilgrim so it could it could be kind of like a silver bullet if your aura based deck loses all its you know gets hit by a a cleansing nova or a bane of progress or something that just kind of sets you back to square one. So I th- I think that has some utility, but it's worth noting that retether is like not a highly played card in commander. <laughs> retether actually does get like the cool auras back, but it still only sees play in in just under 2,500 decks. So not highly adopted. Keep that in mind. This is definitely going to be a niche card that only goes into the aura decks. Yeah, I I think, though, that it will probably end up seeing more play than Retether for exactly the reasons you said. Like, Mm -hmm. it is itself an aura. And then also, like, it. I think people see scaling effects like that and get really excited. Like, the amount of decks that just play all that glitters when, like, there's lots of ways to win in Commander and 
plus one plus one for each artifact or enchantment you control is like fine you know it gets the job done <laughs> but uh, like on an aura it's uh there's a lot more you could do but i think people are just gonna see this total package like this whole thing here and um and be pretty into it and i i know for a fact that i saw some like pretty casual people talking about on twitter how they they can't wait to strap a holy avenger to a creature and then drop a mantle of the ancients <laughs> into play so it's like this is definitely appealing to a certain type of player that's really all i want to say about it because the next card is so much cooler <laughs> yeah well the next card is radiant solar five and a white for a three six creature angel it has flying and lifelink and whenever it or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, venture into the dungeon. Uh, and then you can also pay white and discard Radiant Solar from your hand to venture into the dungeon and gain three life. This is a, a little expensive, but I like that it kind of grants a useful ETB ability to all of your other creatures. So maybe if you're playing in some sort of blink deck, you know, you... you have played your Brago earlier and like some other random ETB value creatures. And then on turn six, you drop Radiant Solar, Brago blinks everything, and then you get to venture like four times into the dungeon. That seems pretty good, especially since, you know, if you're delving into like Dungeon of the Mad Mage, where on average, it, it actually is quite a lot of value. So that's, that's kind of where I'm thinking. If you're in like a white X blink deck, this could be good. What are your thoughts? No, I actually agree. I think this is one of the few like venture cards that I would play with no other venture cards in the list uh, just because the effect is it's not capped uh in the same way that like Sephiris's was capped and mm -hmm. I think the entire reason is because it's on a 36 6 drop angel, you know. So it's pretty trivial to get like a ton of ETB triggers. There are decks that already do that. Even if you're not going infinite, if you can just get like three, four to like seven, eight triggers per like round of turns, that's uh that's gonna do a lot. That's gonna make venturing like into a huge engine for you. So I think like decks like Afara that kind of play a white main lion so they play stone cloaker any deck that is playing these cards that like bounce themselves or bounce another card back to your hand is probably going to want a radiant solar or or maybe i shouldn't say will want but like could definitely use a radiant solar pretty well mm -hmm. um and i think that's really cool so this is yeah i actually really like radiant solar i think it is shows off what what you need to be a good venture card because even though this is a six drop it still can get pretty buck wild pretty quickly mm -hmm. do you want to read off the next card sure yeah so this is revivify this is a white instant it costs two and a white and it says roll a d20 and add the number of creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn so basically however many creatures you had that died this turn that are still in your graveyard add that number a 1 through 14, return all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn into your hand. 15 plus, return those cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, I mean, I'm just going to say, like, I, I'm i a fan of Second Sunrise. I'm a fan of Fate's Reward, of Brought Back. And this card is not that. <laughs> you know, this card is, is definitely not, not any of those 
cards that I just mentioned. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I'm not in love with this card. I, I I think that if it was guaranteed the 15 plus all the time, then, oh, easy. Yeah, I would for sure run this. But the fact that like, you know, somewhere between half and three quarters of the time, it's going to be this, this crappy mode where it's just like a, a mass raised dead. Uh, I'm really not keen on this, and I'm I'm just going to leave this one in the binder. Revivify, like this, does a very good job of capturing the flavor of Revivify and like having to make the D20 roll and being like, like, oh no, did I do it? Did I bring him back? But you have to have five non-token creatures die just to give you a coin flip of a chance to bring them all back. Like at that point, just play Faith's Reward. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like at that point, just play like any of the other cards that do this but like guaranteed do it for three or four mana so yeah definitely not high on it speaking of which (laughs) this next card is called robo stars it is a white artifact equipment costs one and a white so two mana it says equipped creature gets plus o plus three and it has a flavor text ability astral projection so one and a white equipped creature phases out so that's kind of cool, you know, protection. And how much does it cost to equip? Just a single generic. Mm-hmm. So kind of look at it. You're like, okay, cheap equipment gives toughness, equips really cheaply, and you can phase out the creature. That seems that seems good, right? Like, maybe? <laughs> uh, I think for this uh, equipment, so phasing does answer, like, everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that there are some, like, good enough answers that are probably worth running over this because like having to keep mana open to protect your guy is a huge downside whereas if you just plop a a dark steel plate or like a lightning greaves that's going to answer most things and you don't have to like potentially waste tempo of return by holding up mana and it's like oh nobody did anything because they saw that i had mana open so they didn't spend any of their resources answering my guy but i spent resources like warding off their threats whereas like dark steel plate you throw it on you forget about it you spend the rest of your mana doing whatever you want to do i think phasing is really cool it's cool that they brought it back i I know that they stopped using it because it was confusing but i think they've been really smart in the ways that they're bringing it back and like for why they're bringing it back robo stars is like it's cool that they're using phasing but this is just not for me i feel like if i'm gonna keep up two mana in my like Voltron list, it's going to be for something else. It's going to be for like just a counter spell, <laughs> or mm-hmm. it just feels like I could get more. I could get more bang for my buck, which is I know maybe greedy sounding, <laughs> but yeah, I, it feels bad to like have to keep up two mana forever now if uh, I'm going to play Robo Stars yeah agreed so this next one is really cool uh i think there's a lot to say about it um and there'll be some some subtle contrasts with some other colors later on um this card is called thorough investigation it is a white enchantment for three mana two and a white whenever you attack investigate so let's make a uh, artifact token clue it has two sacrifices artifact draw a card and then whenever you sack a clue venture into the dungeon so this is, the, I, I want to come out and say first that this is one of the reasons that I love when they do these commander sets tied to planes, because like you couldn't get a card like this unless it was like a Modern Horizon set where they're like mixing mechanics like this. But 
now we get a few times a year a little injection of cool like mix and match crossover cards like this which are like super flavorful so really like i'm gonna start out by saying i really love the flavor on this card and then i'm gonna pass it to you to see see how you're feeling yeah so it's worth noting that this can only get uh one trigger per combat so unlike a lot of other cards it's like whenever you deal combat damage to a player you can at least get one per opponent this one is just one clue per turn which is not great but like (laughs) spending five mana before you get your first card is i mean that's a worse rate than like an endless atlas or something yeah or or like an eye of vecna like like compare this to eye of vecna which is you know in a standard legal set you you pay two mana immediately get a card every upkeep thereafter you pay two mana get a card uh and and doesn't require it's you know it's cheaper doesn't require you to be attacking with guys like have a board presence and like venturing into the dungeon is great when you're doing it a whole lot but doing it once per turn is really really slow you need like a whole bunch of venture cards before they start to pay off because if this is your only venture enabler then it's you know, let's say you're going through Dungeon of the Mad Mage, you're going to gain one life and you're going to scry one and you're going to get a treasure and you're going to wonder why you put this card in your deck. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm not very high on this. I don't think this is the card advantage solution that white needs. Uh, it, it's no Esper Sentinel. I'll say that. No, I, I think I'm higher on it than you are. I think like I would without other venture cards play this just because like clues are good but i i've put what's it called bygone bishop into list before and was always pretty underwhelmed by it but i think this trigger is just is you just do it anyway you just it's kind of like free cards anyway and i think the scraps that we're handed as like white players mm-hmm. <laughs> means that a clue a turn and plus the whatever added value of a venture means that like I, I would probably play this in a deck that isn't making other clues and doesn't have that many other venture cards because like sacking paying two to draw a card and get a random effect more or less is like pretty okay on top of decks that like actively want artifacts in play and artifact tokens and stuff like that. So I think this is fine. I think this is fine in a few a few particular white decks that just kind of need the card draw or want a little bit more agency over what's going on. But I agree with you. I think it's like not strong. I think if you're like venturing a lot, it's not really adding a lot to that game plan. And there aren't really a lot of white cards that investigated at a good rate. Like Bygone Bishop is basically the best one and it's like kind of bad. (laughs) Mm-hmm. so <laughs> I, d- I don't think this card necessitates playing either more investigate cards or more venture cards but if you happen to be doing either of those things then it's, this is probably also fine i think i know what's going on here with this card i mean they, they've said recently that they don't want to put any more like format staple auto includes in the pre-cons which makes sense it's like a really bad way to get them into players hands yeah um it it just kind of messes things up but this like seems like less a venture a card for like the venture deck and more just like a generic kind of put it in a lot of decks kind of card and so i think they like intentionally nerfed the power because they didn't want to create a staple and i would just rather see more swings at like narrow effects like kind of like what they're doing with all these like 
Voltron focused designs. I'd, I'd rather see more attempts like that than just like, this is could go into a lot of decks, but it's going to be a pretty bad rate. And so you probably won't need it. This feels just like a waste to me. I got you. I see what you're talking about. Yeah, I you, you would have rather them just like specifically build towards an archetype as opposed to make like a generic value card that yes. is going to be nerfed. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I get that, too. I I agree. I I'll um, I don't know the filthy animal that I am. And I'm going to eat these scraps, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to like it. But I, yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. And it's I think it's going to be a budget option for people, too. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing a white deck, you need to draw cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get Eye of Vecna from this set. You get your thorough investigation. Uh, sorry, there. Sorry, there's not more, bud. But uh, should have played another color. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Last white card. Uh, we're going out on a whimper here. So this is Valiant Endeavor. This is a six mana sorcery for white white. Roll two d six and choose one result. Destroy each creature with power greater than or equal to that result. Then create a number of 2-2 white knight creature tokens with vigilance equal to the other result. So, I mean, to me, I would want one result to be very small, one result to be very high, so I can wipe most of the board, like all the one power or bigger creatures, and get mm-hmm. six knights. Do you, th- <laughs> do you think that's going to happen very often? I-, I think just like the fail case on this card is like, you lose the game and that's (laughs) and and so like i'm really not into it for that reason okay so like first off if you're casting this presumably you want to wipe the board presumably something is going on that you are intending to stop because it's so bad that you're like pulling the ripcord and wiping the slate clean and the the chance that like oh i i rolled boxcars and now I'm, i'm basically not wiping anything uh, and so all these like five five Omnath tokens or five five or like five four spirit dragons or whatever are gonna like it, they're gonna stomp all over me. That's awful. That's that's terrible. Like you know, I'd say like if you're getting fives and sixes, this card doesn't do a whole lot. It's gonna leave a lot of the board untouched, and that's not gonna happen all the time. It's gonna happen a small percentage of the time. But I'm also like pumping six mana into this, and so like. The more mana invest I invest into a card, the more of a sure thing I want it to be. So because like, you know, this is probably in a white deck, this is probably like most or all of my turns tempo. And if something really goes bad, I, I'm not going to have any mana left over to do anything about it. Like, OK, like I'll get some chump blockers, but that might not even save me. I, I, I don't know. I think that like. If you really, really want a board wipe that comes with creatures attached, uh, like Martial Coup is only one more mana and it's guaranteed kill everything and guaranteed get five guys. And that is a whole lot more attractive to me than this. And if you're, and maybe what you're trying to do with this card is like avoid killing your small weenies, but kill all your, your big green fatties that your opponents have. Okay, I respect that, but you can pay half as much mana for a retribution of the meek uh or a citywide bust or or you can like pay one more and get dusk dawn i mean i get that like you know dnd is a the the variance they put into dnd is based on dice rolling so this is going to be like sort of familiar to dnd players but 
in magic we already have a lot of variants it's it's called shuffling and <laughs> variance is fine on some effects but if if the difference between like rolling well and rolling bad is like losing the game or not losing the game i don't want to run that card in my deck that's how i feel yeah i think that's a a great segue into our next card our first blue card <laughs> mm-hmm. which is the fail case is nowhere near uh, as bad but it's still pretty bad so this is arcane endeavor this is a blue sorcery it costs five blue blue and it says roll two d8 uh choose one result draw cards equal to that result then you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to the other from your hand without paying its mana cost so this one you want them both to be high but mm-hmm. um hmm, looking at this what's what's the average on this you're probably gonna get two fours right so you're spending seven to draw four and cast a four drop on average yeah um, and, and only a four drop instant or sorcery spell like your your deck has to have a really high density of instants and sorceries for the even this to even be likely to guarantee to to get value for you yeah because i guarantee you that if i roll like a one and a six i'm not gonna oh i'm gonna draw one card and then like play a six drop for free i'm gonna draw six cards and then screw that second part i just spent seven mana i deserve these cards yeah absolutely (laughs) so um this one i think the fail case is nowhere near as bad as uh, the card we just spun off of the one that you're talking about valiant endeavor but arcane endeavor really doesn't uh doesn't hit a lot of marks for me either you know Mm -hmm. Uh, moving on to another dice rolling co- card that I actually like a fair bit more. Yes. <laughs> um, this is Diviner's Portent. It is X blue, blue, blue for an instant. Roll a d20 and add the number of cards in your hand. If you get a 1 through 14, you draw X cards. And if you get a 15 or higher, you scry X, then draw X cards. So this is great. Like the The baseline is draw X cards, which is... This is kind of about what you should expect to pay for that kind of effect. Like we've seen Blue Sun Zenith, we've seen Commander's Insight, we've seen Stroke of Genius, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Pull from Tomorrow is kind of an outlier at costing one, like only two and X. But still, this is a fair price for what you're getting. Uh, and then scrying, and then the potential, like scrying X and then drawing X cards, that is awesome. That is a huge upside that you're going to get you know, I mean, more than 25% of the time, certainly. So I think that's great. I think this is a a, a perfect example of like a well-executed dice rolling card. Like either way, I'm going to get something that's a fair value for this price. And sometimes I get something that's quite a bit better. Yeah, no, this this is just great. I really did not expect another good x draw spell after we got commander's insight like three months ago but here we are (laughs) so that's that's really all i gotta say this is just a good card i think we just have so many of these cards you can pick up whichever one you want for whatever (laughs) yeah like whatever budget deck you need at this point yeah it's worth noting that some of the cards we mentioned can target a player so they can be used as a kill condition whereas this only draws cards for you but uh i think it's fine i think you know if you're running the deck a deck that can like generate enough mana that these cards are really good then you're you might probably like run multiples and so this can always like draw you into your blue sun zenith and then that's what you use to kill your opponents if you're like in, in an infinite mana scenario 
Yep. <laughs> yep. It's it's funny that they made it. They're like, hmm, what's a low variance dice rolling card we could do? Ah, draw. <laughs> 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 this next card is actually, I actually like a lot. It's really interesting. So this is Phantom Steed. It is a 4-3 horse illusion for four mana, three and a blue. It has flash. And when Phantom Steed enters the battlefield, exile another target creature you control until Phantom Steed leaves the battlefield. So note it has the new wording so you can't just noob tube yourself like mm-hmm. someone kills the Phantom Steed before the trigger like an O-ring. Whenever Phantom Steed attacks, create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of the exiled creature, except it's an illusion in addition to its other types. Sacrifice that token at end of combat. So I actually really like this card. Um, there's just a lot of combos you can do. I think one of the funniest ones that you can do with this is, oh, what's the Sphinx, the white blue Sphinx? What's his name that gives you extra turns? Oh, uh, Metamai the Ancient? Yeah, Metamai. Yeah, so like you just, you play your Phantom Steed, and Metamai is on his Phantom Steed, and you, you kind of hit, take an extra turn, hit, take an extra turn. Oh, <laughs> like, that's awesome. That's a great that's, combo. That's um, that's a deck you can play this in and feel pretty good about. Because you already had um the other blue clone, the zero three for four that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, in I, that I, deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you have two basically. You have two four mana creatures that can make Metomai just hit forever. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. Uh, no. So that that's yeah something something to think about. I, I love that deck. That's really good. Um, but there's more. You can play this in a lot of decks, <laughs> apparently. So I have actually put this incredibly terrible card into a deck before. It's called Worm Thing Drake. It's two and a blue <laughs> for a three-four Nightmare Drake with flying, and when it en- it's basically like a a Banisher Priest or a uh, or a Fiend Hunter, but it only targets your own creatures. Like when Worm Thing Drake comes into play, sacrifice it unless you exile a creature you control other than Worm Thing Drake. And then when it leaves play, you return the exiled creature. So I've put that into decks before because it happens to combo with creatures that ETB and reanimate things. So if you put like a Phantom Steed on a Karmic Guide, um, then you basically have a, a unit that can be sacrificed intimate, uh, infinitely. So like you sack the Phantom Steed, you get back your Karmic Guide. Karmic Guide gets back Phantom Steed, which then swallows the Karmic Guide again. And so you get infinite of whatever your, your sack outlet generates. So that might be worth considering if you're running a, uh, a deck that is like looking for those types of sack outlet combos. Uh, it also combos with Port Razor. Um, Port Razor is the pirate in, um, that was printed in Commander Legends. And it's worded as three red red for a four four or pirate when it deals combat damage to a player untap each creature you control after this combat phase there's an additional combat phase and it can't attack a player it has already attacked this turn so that restriction doesn't really matter because the phantom seed puts the token into play tapped and attacking so it, it never attacks it just oh i'm already attacking might as well continue if any of your opponents like don't have any blockers you can just keep swinging the phantom steed at them keep getting additional combats keep making more port razors it's a combo. It'll kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And again, like I think the the cherry on top is the fact that you just can't like screw yourself over with Phantom Steed. That's like the coolest part of the card. They just made it so that like if you want to do something cool, you can. And when you attempt to do it, and someone gets in the way, you you aren't like down like two cards. You're only down the Phantom Steed or whatever it's going to be. You know, so 
pretty into it the fact that it has flash is awesome you can like flash it in in a turn do all this stuff like just really really cool really high on phantom steed i i love this guy next card is is really interesting (laughs) (laughs) so this is rod of absorption so this is a classic DD item and so what does it do in magic it is a three mana artifact two and a blue whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell exile it instead of putting it into a graveyard as it resolves it has x tap sacrifice rod of absorption you may cast any number of spells from among cards exiled with rod of absorption with total mana value x or less without paying their mana costs wow that's pretty weird so what a rod of absorption does in D is it it like when people cast spells against you you kind of like suck them up into the staff so this is kind of an interesting take on that whenever it, it doesn't like counter or negate the spells that are being cast against you but it does steal them you do put them into the rod um this seems like it's probably better in metas where there is a lot of interaction going on the only place i really could think about playing this is it's really good late game with kess because the exile you can kind of use rod of absorption first before like you exile them with kess flash them back with kess so you can be like, okay, Faithless Looting from my graveyard, it gets put on the Rod of Absorption. Okay, this spell from my graveyard, it gets put in the Rod of Absorption. So it kind of gives you three charges, if that's what you want to do with Kess. But like, if you play it really early, then it gets in the way of Kess doing her thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where like you cast the spell, and instead of going to your graveyard, it goes into the Rod. And if you don't cast it with the Rod eventually, if the Rod gets blown up, then it's just gone forever. So yeah. it seems... Very bad early game, very good late game in in that deck. And I couldn't really think of too many places I would want to play it otherwise. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, uh, if you're in some kind of blue deck that is playing a bunch of small, cheap spells that don't have a lot of timing restrictions, um, like, you know, if your Talran list is very heavy on the cantrips or something, then you could just kind of cast this early store up all your like preordains and ponders and then later in the game when you've got like you know six mana or seven mana you're not doing anything with cast all of them get a whole bunch of drakes out of nowhere and you know kind of refill your hand but it's definitely seems like a narrow card i don't think there's a whole lot of decks that want this yeah exactly and i think like there are going to be instances where it's very powerful and metas where it's really powerful like stealing people or denying them their ability even to reuse their instants and sorceries like could be very strong in certain metas but i know in the ones i play in it's it's not going to get me too much value so i think this is this is a super uh meta dependent card to play so can i read off this next one too is that okay yeah go for it so this is netheresi is that right I, i think it might be netherese Netherese like from the Nether. Oh yeah, maybe that that makes sense. So this is Netherese Puzzle Ward, a four mana enchantment, three in a blue. It has Focus Beam. At the beginning of your upkeep, roll a d4, scry X where X is the result, and it has Perfect Illumination. Whenever you roll a die's highest natural result, draw a card. So <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about this? I am not very high on it. I think it's pretty expensive for a card that mostly just scries every turn. If you're running like a Faraday deck that really just cares about dices being rolled and doesn't, you know, if you get value just from die being rolled, uh, then this 
could be good there. It'll make sure your Faraday always has Flying and Menace. Oh, I, I think you had some good tech. You mentioned Elegeth, uh, yes. which turns yeah. your, your scries into draws. Uh, that seems like a good place for it. But in most decks, I just don't think this is worth it. You can get scry pretty cheaply in blue in a lot of lists, and this is a big in- mana investment. They print so many versions of like three mana blue enchantment that scries one on your upkeep. And if you want that you can just get it you can get it on a budget so if you have an elegant list there you go if you just want to scry because again like i think a good way to like really temper your expectations with these dice roll cards is by really just looking at the averages that's how they balanced these cards that's how they balanced D too is they look at like well what is the average roll going to get you and then how much variance is there so d4 isn't a lot of variance but the average roll is going to be about a two so you're basically paying four to scry two-ish on your upkeep and one in four times you draw a card. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's not a card I would play in most blue lists, like you said. So I yeah. agree. Moving on to the next card. This is Winged Boots. One in a blue for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature has flying and ward four uh, and it equips for a single mana. I, I think that it's it's worth repeating that like successful Voltron Commander Need some combination of evasion, protection, haste, and high power to cost ratio. Ward is a lot worse than hexproof or shroud. If they really want to, like swords, your guy, they can still do it. Uh, but but there are some blue Voltron commanders that don't already have evasion or some form of protection. So like I could see running this in like a Rafik deck or a Ruhan of the Fomori maybe. But again. I have some reservations about using it more broadly because I just don't love Ward. It's not a perfect answer, so it's not mm-hmm. not really a good answer. Like I, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm not super. Yeah. High no, to- totally. I I know some people that are into this. I think the reason being that it's like a pretty cheap and efficient way to give flying to creatures, and that's something we don't necessarily have. Like, well, a lot. Like, what what's the best flying equipment? I'm thinking, <laughs> well the thing is like this is mostly the same cost as like cobbled wings like two to play one to equip and that card sees no play in commander yeah that's true yeah we got something similar in theros beyond death like the i don't know whatever yeah, the wings of icarus, icarus wings whatever, yeah. yeah um and again those also didn't aren't didn't really see much adoption so like your the, the upgrade that this provides is just the ward for and I'm not like again, like I'm skeptical because this won't stop a a really dedicated player who's like, you know, if if you're going for them with your Voltron commander, then it's a forced choice. They are going to use their removal no matter how much extra mana you tack onto it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's definitely true. Yeah. I actually wonder now that you say that because like it is just I think Ward 4 is better than those other flying equipment that we've gotten, which are pretty similar, but like it's not really that much better. So I wonder I wonder if like people are going to play it just because it's like a rare in this set or if they're going to leave it on the sidelines. Because I did see some hype about it on the internet, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to translate that to like deck slots. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people will try it, but like when you once it burns you yeah (laughs) i I can see i could see myself like taking this out of my deck in a fit of frustration because i 
you know, couldn't get the final points of Ultron damage in, but because you know yeah, my opponent had definitely. removal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that finishes the blue card. So we're in the black cards now. So this first one is pretty funny. This is Bag of Devouring. This is a black artifact. It costs a single black pip. Whenever you sacrifice another non-token artifact or creature, exile it. It has two tap, sacrifice another artifact or creature, draw a card. And three tap, sacrifice Bag of Devouring, roll a d10, return up to X cards from among cards exiled with Bag of Devouring to their owner's hands, where X is the result. Um, hmm, wow. <laughs> okay. Like... Mm, I, I got that, opinions on this card. Yeah, well, you you go first because I feel probably the same way you do. <laughs> okay, I I hate this thing. <laughs> yeah, this sucks. Yeah, uh, if I'm playing like a black sacrifice focus deck, then I'm intentionally playing things that can like return themselves, that can recur themselves after I sacrifice them. And bag of devouring just messes my whole stuff up. Like if I'm running a deck that really wants to sacrifice things for value, it's like, okay, I'm going to be focused on Bloodgast, I'm going to be focused on Reassembling Skeleton, etc., etc. And the Bag of Devouring just steps in and prevents me from using their recursion abilities and forcing me to use its recursion ability, which is like slower and might not even work if I roll bad and costs more mana. And it's just like, no, this is, this is awful. I, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I, I hate this. Also, it's worth noting, like if you if you are really planning to use it for the the card drawing effect, like Vampiric Rites exists. Vampiric Rites costs a single black for an enchantment. Pay one and a black, sacrifice a creature, gain one life, and draw a card. Like there's something if if you just care about it as a sack outlet, there's something way way better that already exists. Yep. Yeah. Budget option gains you life. Uh, a whole shebang. Don't have to tap it pretty good so uh, i think you hit the nail on the head the variance on the d10 is really like if i just sacked it and got my things back that'd be chill fine cool good but the fact that like i might only get like <laughs> one of my things back is like oh that feels so bad so this next card is a black sorcery it's mm -hmm. called dance macabre it is five mana it costs three black black it totally is a sorcery each player sacrifices a non-token creature. Roll a d20 and add the toughness of the creature you sacrificed this way. 1 through 14, return a creature card put into a graveyard this way to the battlefield under your control. 15 plus, return up to two creature cards put into graveyards this way to the battlefield under your control. So yeah, do you want to get into this guy? Yeah, um, I, I kind of like this actually, or at least in a very specific context. So if you have a creature that enters the battlefield and gets back a sorcery from your graveyard to your hand, then this kind of just becomes like an activated ability. Because what's going to happen is like, okay, I'll sack my Eternal Witness and roll a d20, blah, blah, blah. Even, if, even in the fail case of like 1 to 14, well, okay, one of the creatures sacrificed was an Eternal Witness, so I'll get that back. And basically I just paid 5 mana to make each of my opponents sacrifice a creature. If you got a bunch of mana, if you got like a coffers going, that's not a bad thing to do. And then there's also the chance that you just roll high enough and I get my eternal witness or whatever and some one of my opponent's creatures that got sacrificed. So that's starting to be pretty good. If you're running a deck with like a critical mass of like Archaeomancers and Anarchists or whatever, 
and you've got a bunch of mana, I guess, then I'd be interested in running this card. Yeah, and I also want to say that it's non-token too. I want to highlight that. So it's not even that you're just like paying five and they sack a sapperling or like the the slimefoot player just kind of is like, haha, I don't have to worry about this. It's like, no, you're you're sacking something that you invested in while I'm coasting <laughs> <laughs> over here. I'm I'm maintaining a board state while you are uh, slowly getting yours chipped away. So uh, I think. Yeah, I agree too. I think this card is really cool. I think, yeah, I just think this is a card that people should play and people probably will play. Yeah, that was that's actually a really good point you bring up. This is um, actually the first instance of forcing each player to sacrifice a non-token creature specifically. Uh, and I, I think that's a great innovation. Uh, I think it's going to, you know, just make playing these kinds of cards a little less frustrating. Yeah, exactly. So you're not just sitting there going like, oh, well, I could cast my like edict, but they have four goblin tokens. What is that even going to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. Can I read this next card? Yeah. So this is Death Tyrant. It's four and a black for a four six creature Beholder Skeleton. It has Menace and Negative Energy Cone. Whenever an attacking creature you control or a blocking creature an opponent controls dies, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. And then you can pay five and a black to return Death Tyrant from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. I uh, like this a lot. If you're running a black deck with sacrifice outlets, which, you know, there's a fair number of them. Yeah. Uh, this is this is pretty great. It's almost like a reconnaissance for black. Yeah. Except it also <laughs> provides sack fodder because like whatever they, they, they block, like, you know, you chump attack with a bunch of losers. Uh, and whatever they block you sacrifice, immediately get a replacement and get whatever your sacrifice outlet produces. So it seems quite good in those kinds of decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even just like attacking with some zombies you made last turn, sacking them to attrition, getting zombies back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like even that alone is like it, it basically once a turn gets you a bunch of rotational sack fodder. So I think even that like low end of the spectrum is good and then the fact that it brings itself back like i know it's six mana but like you could just mill yourself not think about it and then all of a sudden death tyrants here yeah yeah it's not nothing i i totally agree it's it's not the highlight of the card like i was kind of on board for the other ability but Mm -hmm. just getting this extra value like oh even if they kill it i it's it's kind of always in my hand that's pretty sweet Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's like uh, exactly it's just like as soon as it is in your graveyard or in play like it's they gotta exile it or something otherwise you're just gonna keep having this kind of engine going so yeah exactly like you said i'm here for the first part but the second part is kind of like the cherry on top for me mm-hmm. yeah very cool card <laughs> this next card is interesting this is a grave endeavor this is an instant. It's a black instant for seven mana, five black, black. So what does it do? Roll 2d10 and choose one result. Return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a number of plus one, plus one counters on it equal to that result. Then each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is the other result. Um, <laughs> this, this is the one that feels the most disjointed to me. Yeah. How do you feel about it? I am so low on this card. Um, (laughs) I will point out, yes, it's an instant. So you have the opportunity to surprise your opponents. Like, you know, like, oh, I have a blocker out of nowhere. But 
I mean, how how smart do you think your opponents are? If somebody like passes their turn with seven mana open and you think to yourself like, oh, this guy seems safe to attack. Like, I think, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think you may just not be very experienced in in magic or commander. So I I really don't think the gotcha adds a lot of power to this card. And the the base power level of the card, if we just evaluate it purely on like what you're getting for the mana, it sucks. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, like animate dead is legal in this format. Necromancy is legal in this format. Dance of the dead persist. Victimize. I can go on. There are so many like two and three mana ways to just get a creature back from anyone's graveyard, not just your own. That I I I don't care about plus and plus one counters. I don't care about draining for. 1d10 for i guess five and a half on average that that all sucks i don't want this give me give me my cheaper animation yeah and like i said the disjointedness also makes me feel like they could have tuned this to be like a sweet spot like give like reanimate one of your creatures it gets big like minus x minus x to another creature or something like that like just make it one of the most savage like combat tricks they could have come up with but instead it's like the drain life and the creature animate so it just feels weird feels bad too much variance again yeah um well actually i would actually say that's actually probably why i don't like this card is because the variance inherent in this card doesn't matter mm-hmm. <laughs> they just are like you're kind of rolling 2d10 for what like for for not much so yeah like the the main part of the card is bringing a creature back that's going to happen no matter what and it's just the the counters and the life just seem kind of like fiddly and mm-hmm. it's this feels like a design where it's like if the dice rolling doesn't matter why am i rolling dice yeah exactly so this next card is awesome do you want to get into it sure uh yes i i like this card a lot uh this is grim hireling it is three and a black for a three two creature tiefling rogue Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create two treasure tokens. You can pay black and sacrifice X treasures to make it so that target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. Activate only as a sorcery. So I, re- I just want to point out here, it triggers per player who you hit. So you, if you have three opponents, you can get six treasures per round of combat. And that's incredible. <laughs> that's yeah. so good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is a really, really good engine for for like uh, decks that want evasive attackers. Yeah, uh, that's and also like the fact that it can, you know, if you can get in once and get a few treasures, you can then in future turns like use it to clear out blockers so you can like more easily attack in for more things. But but as as you said, like you know, it's <clears throat> it's just great if you're in a deck with a lot of evasion. Like it happens to be a rogue very conveniently. So like. You put it in the Anawan Rogue deck and just get, I mean, it more than pays for itself the turn it comes down. So that's fantastic. It also gives you an engine like, oh, you don't need a billion mana every turn. Well, how how would you like cards instead in the form of things your opponents have invested mana into? Like, this this is so good. I love this. This is really awesome. I have a few lists that this is going to be like an all-star in. Yeah, I re- I don't really know how much more there is to say about it. You should play this card. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm going to be picking rocks. up a couple copies. I, I I'm big fan. So a card I'm not <laughs> super into. <laughs> um, so this is Hellish Rebuke. This is a black instant. It costs two and a black. It says until end of turn, permanence your opponent's control gain 
When this permanent deals damage to the player who cast Hellish Rebuke, sacrifice that permanent, you lose two life. I actually just realized, I think I realized the one case in which this is good. This is like, if a combo has like infinite ping or something like that, it like stops certain combos. I think that's the only instance in which this card is good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I can let you get into into it. Yeah, so this seems designed as like, a way to kind of get back at somebody who is killing you like okay you i mean it's kind of the only way to make it work um yeah because the moment you die if it was just worded as like you know whenever a permanent your opponent controls deals damage you this turn this happens then like those abilities are gone the moment you're dead so they they kind of had to word it this way i get that it's like oh if you kill me you will also get totally screwed but who who cares like if if the the use case for the card is like i die but no 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 there's no rest of the sentence after you die you've already lost the game like yeah. who cares what happens next you failed so i i would much rather prefer just to run something that proactively prevents me from dying like i mean black has has plenty of wraths these days uh you know, in the like four to six mana range or like, heck, I mean, darkness is a black card. I would rather just run darkness. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> how about instead of like them dying after me? Uh, I just don't die I, if for and for less mana. That's, that's yeah. got to be preferable because I was just trying to think like I saw this card. and I'm like, oh, that's funny because it is a very good like flavor execution on what Hellish Rebuke does. In D&D, Hellish Rebuke is a spell you can do as like a reaction. So like somebody hits you and you're like, well, screw you, bud. And then you deal damage back to them, too. So it's kind of like a it's not a free way to get extra damage in because you're you're using a spell to do it. But it's like a way to get a lot more extra damage in when they hit you. So it's it's good in D&D for that reason. It's bad in magic because you don't want to respond to them hitting you. So I was trying to think of like, when is this better than a kill spell? better than a wrath like when would i want to play this and i I can't imagine that scenario Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think the one i I opened with where like there's a combo that involves like something pinging you multiple times like in succession i think that's the only time this card is good because it it just stops the combo from working anymore Mm -hmm. um and so if your meta uh has a lot of those (laughs) (laughs) maybe this card is worth it and if it doesn't like most normal uh metas then then i would leave in the binder but we have one more black card and this card rips this card's so cool (laughs) yeah uh i'm a big fan of this this is wand of orcus two and a black for a legendary artifact equipment whenever equipped creature attacks or blocks it and zombies you control gain death touch until end of turn and whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create that many 2-2 black zombie creature tokens and equips for three. Um, so, I mean, the, the the obvious answer is you put it in like a zombie tribal deck. It makes more zombies. It, buff, it gives your zombies a useful ability. That's all great. I was thinking in like other types of decks, um, I was thinking maybe like Krav the Unredeemed. Uh, who can sacrifice creatures to draw cards and put plus plus counters on himself. So basically, like you hit with Krav, you get some number of zombies. You can then sack those zombies, draw a bunch of cards, make Krav bigger so that next turn you get even more zombies. Uh, that's kind of neat. Chatterfang, the Squirrel General, 
like has evasion and doubles up the token production. So like, yeah, you only make three zombies off a three power Chatterfang, but you also get three squirrels. That's like starting to be some good numbers. That's kind of what I'm thinking for this card in addition to like just the zombie tribal easy slot in. The thing about this card that really blows me away is just how many zombies you can get and like how consistently you can make them. Um, So I was trying to think of like evasive black commanders that could use the sack fodder and like the two that I I came up with um, I like mentioned in the discord but I think like rankle master of pranks Mm -hmm. like getting two twos that you can sack to his own ability or uh, just kill them with because they're sacking creatures every turn Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that seems fine and good Liesa is basically always in play uh, the shroud of dusk the commander legends angel always in play you'll have a ton of sack fodder for like your attritions or whatever you're going to be doing because you're getting five zombies every time she hits um and that is just going to end the game like with everyone paying life to cast their spells that's just going to close out a game pretty quickly too so i I think this is just a good equipment Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i think it goes into zombie tribal really easily i think uh like you said the the decks you mentioned krav chatterfang uh, Rakdos 1.0, like Rakdos 1.0 is it's a house, like getting seven zombies when you yeah. hit someone. Holy cow. Like that's so cool. So I think those are all lists that are good, but I think the Rakdos 1.0 kind of illustrates like if your commander is big enough and can play Wand of Orcus, you're just going to get enough zombies <laughs> to mm. make it worth it. So this is definitely a card I expect to see a lot of sitting down uh, at at edh tables from like now on yeah definitely seems like a sweet one all right moving on to red the first card is berserker's frenzy it is two and a red for an instant cast a spell only before combat or during combat before blockers are declared Uh, roll 2d20 and ignore the lower roll on a 1 through 14 choose any number of creatures they block this turn if able or on a 15 through 20, you choose which creatures block this turn and how those creatures block. I'm guessing that it's some kind of D&D thing, like the reason it gives you advantage. I feel like you could execute this easily with just a single roll, and it's like 1 through 10, do this thing, and, and 11 through 20, do this other thing. As opposed to, like, you get advantage, and then here's 15 through 20. Like, do you see what I'm saying, how it kind of cancels out? yeah mechanically i don't know if that does a whole lot like uh, verandis for example says like whenever you roll one or more dice uh so it's not gonna like make him ping himself twice but anyway uh moving on to actually evaluating the card i i it seems fine you're i mean master warcraft is good if you're running a deck with like a lot of big creatures i mean it seems especially good in verandis because you don't those things are going to die anyway so you don't care even if you get the the crappy version of this effect because like if you make them block with their utility creature and their six six well your guy was going to die anyway and you this way you you get to kill the utility creature that's not that much different from the master warcraft mode where their six six just doesn't block you know what i'm saying yes no totally i mean really so i guess i i looked it up again it's mostly just that berserker's frenzy gives you like an extra attack each turn so it's even actually weirder than i thought (laughs) like Mm -hmm. this is actually a weirder execution than i thought it was initially so yeah i mean i think i think you can get your your mana's worth out of it and i master warcraft is definitely a good spell like 
I encourage you if you play Boros, if you play Attacky List, to try a Master Warcraft sometime, and you'll just be blown away by how good that can be. But uh, at the same time, like this, this is a weird way to execute that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You your board just has to be good for this to be good most of the time. Yeah, it seems good because this is really trying to get card advantage by like forcing blocks, being like, "No, you attack!" Mm-hmm. Like you, we fight now. Like making magic work how like a beginner thinks combat works. You know, like mm-hmm. I can attack their creature, like Yu Gi Oh. Yeah. Um, only on a fifteen to twenty. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, maybe it is fifty percent of the time you'll hit it. Is that what it is? It's if a, you're rolling two and getting. It's a little more than fifty percent, slightly, because like. So 16 through 20 would be a quarter, um, but you get a little extra boost by getting that 15 as well. So, yeah, so it's a, it's half the time it's a, a discount on a Master Warcraft, which is fine. So I don't know. If you like are playing like a Rakdos list with a bunch, if, if you have a bunch of zombies that you made with your Wand of Orcus and you're attacking, like forcing these blocks is pretty good, but you really want that bone zone 15 to 20 to like go off with this card yeah definitely all right uh moving on to the next card this is chaos dragon it is one red red for a four four creature dragon with flying and haste it attacks each combat if able and at the beginning of combat on your turn each player rolls a d20 if one or more opponents had the highest result chaos dragon can't attack those players or planeswalkers they control this combat it's a really cheap dragon if you're if i was playing like Kolagon, the storm's fury this is a, a solid dragon I can cast, you know, before turn five. That'll just help me farm her, like, shared animosity trigger. Mm-hmm. So that's something. But in most in most dragon decks, I don't know. Unless I'm, like, clearly getting a... W- would you run this in, like, an Ur-Dragon list if it only costs basically two mana to get a 4-4 dragon? I don't know. I think I would rather just draw cards. <laughs> Yeah. Or something. You know, I think I would rather like ramp more and maybe, maybe that's a wrong intuition to have as someone who like doesn't have an Ur Dragon list themselves. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's worth mentioning like four, four beaters are not very good in Commander. That's why like Resculpt and Pongify and Angelic Ascension, that's why those are all good cards because we don't care about random beaters. So I'm inclined to think this is outside of very narrow corner cases like Kolagon. This is just, like, not a real card. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to the next card. This is Fiend Lash. This card is is sounds pretty weird when I'm going to read it off to you. So it is an artifact equipment. It's red. It costs two mana, one and a red. It has equipped creature, gets plus two, plus O, and has reach. Uh, whenever equipped creature is dealt damage, it deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker, and it has equip three. So two and a red. If you have a one of the spite mares, one of the mog maniacs and things like that, and like a dark steel plate, a uh, blazing sun steel, you can just win the game. Basically, you put fiend lash on the creature, you put dark steel plate also on the creature, the creature takes damage, it will deal damage to itself. So then fiend lash goes, oh, deal your power to someone, and then this creature goes, oh, deal the damage you've taken to something. And then you do both of those things. And so Fiendlash will hit itself again. The uh, creature will hit something else and you can just kill everyone that way. Um, this is a combo oh, that's... Ex- it's, it's the reverse. The Fiendlash is going to hit your opponent and the creature will hit itself. Fiendlash oh, can only hit go. players or planeswalkers. Okay. 
Thank you for the correction. Yeah. So, but you you get the idea. This is a combo that's existed for a while now. So you you might be familiar with it. Having another piece that makes this more easy to assemble, and you can also just put it onto other creatures and stuff like that is is good. Uh, it's not a card I would have expected. Mm-hmm. I guess. How do you feel about it? Uh, so it's worth noting that you can kind of replicate the spite mare effect with blazing sunsteel, which is uh, one of the new equipment printed in the the Commander Legends equipment precon. So basically, like you can turn any creature into like a combo engine if you just put like a dark steel plate, a blazing sunsteel, and a fiend lash on it. So I'm thinking like if you're running like a Bruinor deck or an Arden deck, some sort of like white red x equipment deck that can cheat equipment costs then dark steel plate is totally fine to run in those lists blazing sun steel also gives like a power bonus so it's not terrible to run like fiend lash is kind of the only piece of the combo that really feels like you're you're spending a slot on it and of course like we're getting more equipment tutors like fighter class i just think that it's relatively low investment to run this combo in a couple decks. And if you ever find the pieces together, you just win the game. Yeah, there it is. Didn't expect it. And yet here it goes, just like just like life, you know? Mm-hmm. So this next card is, <laughs> is interesting. This is called Maddening Hex. It is an enchantment or a curse for three mana, one red red. It enchants a player, as curses do. Whenever enchanted player casts a non-creature spell, roll a d6. Maddening Hex deals damage to that player equal to the result, then attach Maddening Hex to another one of your opponents chosen at random. What? <laughs> How do you feel about this? Uh, I'm pretty low on it. There's not really any rewards for running curses. Random damage isn't super powerful. Uh, I don't see a whole lot of benefit to this card. I agree. I think if it just stuck on one player, making it so they take a d6 every time they cast a non-creature spell is like pretty good. That would be fine. But the fact that it moves around means that like you can't punish the control player for doing their game plan. You just are kind of just haphazardly dealing like one to six damage to people. And there is a chance that this is going to get stuck on the like Nikaya of the old ways player and like it's just never going to leave and not do anything you know so Mm -hmm. i'm just pretty low on it before we move on is there any benefit to just having this curse around no there's no commanders that like mechanically care about curses okay well there you go so well (laughs) moving on to a card that uh i think this is my favorite of these dice rolling cards so far but that's Mm -hmm. not saying much yeah uh so this is reckless endeavor it is five red red for a sorcery Roll 2d12 and choose one result. Reckless Endeavor deals damage equal to that result to each creature. Then create a number of treasure tokens equal to the other result. So I am pretty high on this card. I think that unlike the other board, like dice rolling board wipe, I think the the ceiling is a lot higher. And also there's just fewer alternatives that kind of do the same thing. Like red doesn't have nearly as many good board wipes as white does. So like, with white, you have, I mean, you just shouldn't run it over some of the other cards that do similar things more reliably. 
But for this, I think that on average, it will wipe the board. Like an, an average roll on a D12 is six and a half. And that's going to deal enough to kill most creatures in Commander. So I'm pretty high on that. And of course, like it will refund a lot of the mana you put into it. At a minimum, it's going to refund one treasure. And then it could be you could actually net mana on this card, which is where it really gets crazy. Uh, yeah. the, the idea that you can, you know, wipe the board and have more mana afterwards than you started with is is just incredible. Um, there is a fail case with this card where it's like you just roll double ones. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's less likely on a... I mean, it's certainly a lot less likely on a D12 than it is with the fail case for the other one where it's you're rolling D6s. Yeah. Because they're D12s, the variance is going to be such that even when you roll kind of low, like kind of low is going to be like a one to three and just getting one to three treasures back is fine like re- like you said refunding the cost and then i mean three damage will clear out a fair most things yeah yeah that's actually what i was gonna say is like the amount of times i've been like man i wish i had a pyroclasm <laughs> <laughs> is a lot actually so I, this this just means that when i look at this card and consider like the numbers and everything i go huh i actually think i would play this yeah my one reservation about this card is uh i mean in addition to the the very low chance of just getting double ones whatever but despite the the low average net cost, despite the fact that you're pretty likely to make back most of your mana, this does have a startup cost of seven mana. So if if really messed up stuff is happening in the first few turns of the game, this card's just going to sit in your hand. Like it's not going to save you against a fast Krenko start. Yeah, um, that's true. So I think if you can mitigate that, if you're running like a green red X deck that can reliably accelerate into it. Um, then I I think that could be quite good. I think all things considered, you knowing that you have this in your deck means that you can plan around using it better, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. So the next card is Share the Spoils. It is one in a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield or an opponent loses the game, exile the top card of each player's library. During each player's turn, that player may play a land or cast a spell from among cards exiled with Share the Spoils, and they may spend mana as though or mana of any color to cast that spell. When they do, exile the top card of their library. So uh, I I love the flavor here. Like the fact that it triggers on an opponent losing uh, really sells the flavor. Kind of curious to see how it plays. Maybe if you're running a deck that's like really narrow and has a bunch of cards that nobody else is going to want, then you could count on like sort of getting a little bit more value from this card than your opponents do. But what do you think about it? The <laughs> like you said, the flavor is very good. I mean, like I think this is gonna get you a little bit more than other people if you're running like a um oh god, what's his name? The Prosper. So if you're like running a Prosper list, you're getting slightly more out of this than your opponents, but like not by much. This seems like a card for like red chaos lists um, that don't want to like necessarily piss everybody off it, it keeps the game moving but it's just not a card i'm super into i i agree i i think that on average your opponents are going to get more value from this than you are so yeah not not super keen on it yeah exactly which i think brings us to the next card so god okay so this is vengeful ancestor this is a three four spirit dragon with flying uh it costs four mana two red red 
It has whenever Vengeful Ancestor enters the battlefield or attacks, goad target creature. And whenever a goaded creature attacks, it deals one damage to its controller. I like that they're printing more ways to goad. I like that this gives you a little bit of value on the front end. I think it's weird that this card isn't a 5-4 <laughs> like mm. the Spirit Ancestors from, yeah, from Ruler Friend. I'm not really sure which dragons are supposed to have flying because this is this is clearly like one of the dragonborn like more humanoid dragons but it does have flying so uh the 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 flavor is a little hard for me to distinguish but whatever so i don't know i i'm happy to see more goad cards i know people are going to be happy to see more goad cards the fact that this is only like one goad per turn is like not crazy but it does mean that the scariest thing at the table is not hitting you um and it also means that like you're always going to be able to hit somebody because you can go like the big flyer and then attack that person and keep it goaded. But that last line of text is so poo-poo, just like not, not just, good. Like, yeah, like it might as well not have been there. Like I feel like they're giving like I guess it's the stat line really that I'm paying for, but I feel like I I maybe could have paid a little bit less mana for this card if it didn't have that line of text like it's just so yeah i I love that they're using the enters the battlefield or attacks technology a little bit more just they they clearly recognize at this point that you got to be doing something on the first turn a card comes down in commander for it to be worthwhile and not just like immediately trade off and make you feel like you didn't get anything but i think i think with that we can move on to the last red card Mm mm-hmm so this is Wild Magic Sorcerer. It's three and a red for a four-three creature orc shaman. The first spell you cast from exile each turn has Cascade, uh, which means that when you cast your first spell from exile, you exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card that costs less. You may cast it without paying its mana cost, and then you can put the exiled cards on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think this card is pretty sweet. Similar to Prosper, there's just a lot of ways to trigger this card and, and many of those mechanics are on uh so there's plenty of of madness commanders uh cascade commanders impulse draw commanders all sorts of things that can trigger it and where this guy is going to find a home i will say that like if you're only triggering this guy on your turn then it's just not very exciting yeah so i would really be looking for the commanders that let you cast spells from exile on multiple people's turns so Prosper can do that if you manage to like impulse draw some instants. Paco and Halden are pretty good at that. Like Paco can, you know, is gonna exile cards from everyone's library. If you get any instants in there, then Halden will let you cast those on your opponent's turns. Uh, Sir Kara has that ping ability that will like impulse draw on your opponent's turns. And of course, she's running like a lot of cheap instant speed burn spells that you can cast on your opponent's turns. I think those all make sense. In Averna decks, like she's Averna is running like every cascade effect she can in her color identity. So this is going to trigger pretty consistently there as well. But what do you think about Wild Magic Sorcerer? I think this is cool. Um again, this is just like another incentive to play with all the like impulse draw spells that we've been getting. Uh it works well with Prosper, hence why why it's in the list. And it will just get you a ton of value. I like that they keep putting interesting ways to cascade into these commander sets. They realize that that is like a fan favorite <laughs> thing. And I like that it incentivizes people to run less counter spells because I think people use counter spells wrong. I don't think anything's wrong with counter spells. I run a lot of them. 
but I think people play them badly. So whenever we have these cool spells that like kind of encourage you to flip into value, I think that's kind of a cool place to put these. Mm-hmm. If I'm just getting one extra free spell a turn, that's fine. But I really want to be like finding ways to do this on multiple turns. Um, and with that, we have finished the red cards. All right, we are moving into the green cards with the uh, bag of tricks. One and a green for an artifact. You can pay four and a green and tap it to roll a D8. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card with a mana value equal to the result. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This is interesting. I'm wondering like, how easily you can find this artifact in a game of Commander. Because I think... Um, I think for certain mana values, it's not a huge loss to maybe only run one or two cards. Well, the problem is like the randomness just really kind of screws up any... You can't plan on it. That was the kind of the thing that really took me off of this card was that like you roll a d8 and then you reveal until you hit a creature with mana value equal to the result. So Mm -hmm. like if you don't have a one drop, a two drop up to an eight drop and most decks don't have eight drops and not a lot of decks have one drops well then... there's there in green you've got plenty of like elf variants so oh that's true but it, but it just seems like you're spending five like if you are spending five to tutor up like a one drop randomly from your deck that seems a lot worse like if it was like mana value less than or equal to i think i would have been cool with this card but the fact that it's like exactly means that you're gonna often or not often but well, actually, yeah, often you're going to like pay five, tap it, and then just kind of look at your deck, shuffle it, and put it back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like it, it's not that hard to fit like a Crater Hoof into most decks, but like Crater Hoof is the kind of card you want to cast at exactly the right moment. So, like, doing the like activating your bag of tricks because, oh, my someone just wiped the board and I'd like to get more creatures on the board. And then, like, that's when you hit your Crater Hoof. Like, oh, that, that seems so painful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, as you mentioned, like you, the the average roll on a D eight is four and a half. So, on average, you will be getting less mana worth of carb than you are putting into the bag of tricks. I mean, if you like randomness, if you like rolling dice, okay, then that's that's fun, that's cool. But green has so many like tutor effects that you can kind of just get what you want. You don't need to try to roll dice to see if you get the thing you need. Yeah, to be fair, pretty happy that green got a clunker because green is going to continue its trend of being very good (laughs) Yeah, in just a few cards. So um, this one missing, not too upset about. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, moving on to the next card. This is Belt of Giant Strength. One and a green for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature has base power and toughness 10-10. It equips for 10, but this ability costs x less to activate where x is the power of the creature it targets so where do you think this would make the most sense yeah so we had a a friend mention gargos uh is it vicious watcher is that what his name is i think that's right yeah so gargos is the hydra tribal commander that makes your hydras cost four generic less to cast which is pretty nuts so most of your hydras are like two mana four fours or like four mana six sixes or something like that they they get pretty big pretty quickly and in gargos is basically giving them plus 10 plus 10 
that seems pretty good and fine. This two mana equipment that equips for not a lot, but gives you a huge buff. Like that seems good. And then you had some other ones that you wanted to mention too. Yeah, I was thinking um there's a couple other like commanders that uh are like zero zero but come in with a lot of counters like um Pelucranos two point comes in it's it's a zero zero that comes in with six counters. If you escape it, it comes in with twelve counters. So in either case, like that's a pretty big buff for a pretty low cost. Throw mock the insatiable, that's another one. And then you had some ideas for ways you could use this as well. So the other thing is that there are some ways to just cheat the cost. The ones that aren't specific to like commanders are just Sigarda's aid. This just sticks to something. If you're playing like an Amon's Hammer, if you're tutoring, tutoring that up every game, if you have a Pure Steel Paladin. But then the commanders that really make it worth it are like Galia, if you are playing her, uh, hence why it's in her deck. You just cast this from the top of your library. Something is a 10-10 now. It costs you two mana. That's pretty decent. And on top of that, Arden from Commander Legends with a green partner. Uh, who cares how much it costs to equip this? <laughs> you just, uh, you're just there. It's combat, and now Arden or something is a 10-10 with a bunch of boots and swords and and cloaks and whatnot on him, and it's just going to go to town. <laughs> so that seemed pretty good to me, too. Yeah, it's a really good use. And now <laughs> we oh, get yeah. to... I honestly don't even have much to say about it, but um, do you want me to read it off? Do you want to read it off? Uh, uh, I I'll... don't even want to mention it. God, all right. Uh, so this card is Druid of Purification. It's three and a green for a two, three creature human druid. When Druid of Purification enters the battlefield, starting with you, each player may choose an artifact or enchantment you don't control. Destroy each permanent chosen this way. So this is, I mean, it's a four cost creature that comes in and blows up four artifacts and enchantments. <laughs> it's annoying is that it's, good <laughs> it's really good i, I hate how good it is yeah. like it's it's so frustrating because like i was like every time like i, I get kind of pleased about something white gets like green gets something even just way cooler like mm -hmm. in the c20 decks in the commander 2020 decks we got dismantling wave which is two and a white for a sorcery for each opponent destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment that player controls and as cycling for six white white, when you cycle it, destroy all artifacts and enchantments. So at the time, I was pretty pleased. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. You get to like blow up three different things, and and that's like a pretty good rate for three mana. Uh, but like, what we just got, Druid of Purification, blows up four things, and <laughs> it's a creature, so that you can like recur it and tutor it out and reanimate it and blink it and bounce it, and it's just like easier to use more powerful and of course it's hard not to draw the conclusion that like because it's green it gets to be more powerful yeah and it it also gets around hexproof which is like one of the oh that's beautiful things about it love too. that <laughs> yeah so you're like haha i'm picking your hexproof thing because this person chose it and you're like is that fair <laughs> <laughs> is, is that legal um, and the answer is yes, if it's green. Yeah, it's just frustrating that, like, you know, we, we just talked earlier in this episode about um, 
you know, thorough investigation and how like, oh, you know, they, they said they don't want to do staples anymore. So I can see why they like pulled back on the power level of this kind of like generically useful card. But then apparently that doesn't apply to green. Apparently green gets out of new staples. So if you <laughs> I would recommend picking up Druid of Purification. Uh, I think it's going to I mean, it's just an automatic format staple. You're going to yeah. need several copies of this, this at least. Yeah, and I'm green decks. And I'm so not happy about this being the case yeah yeah definitely which is so funny because for the most part like we're gonna talk the next few green cards are pretty much clunkers um so we can kind of get into them but it's like why did this have to be here Mm -hmm. why did this have to exist like green didn't need this help like you have bane of progress reclamation sage you had so many other things green was not hurting and and like you know as we've talked before uh, talked about before on the podcast um it, once you have like one really good effect in a color that has access to a lot of tutors, you don't need a whole bunch more. Like the fact that if you're up against an artifact deck or an enchantress deck, you can just tutor out your Bane of Progress with one of like 10 different green tutors. Yeah. Like Druid of Purification is, yeah, it's great. And yeah, you're going to play it in a, in a lot of green decks, but it didn't really solve, it, it wasn't necessary to solve the problem of green dealing with a board full of artifacts and enchantments consistently yeah definitely so whoops 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 there it is wizards thanks for that um this next one though you can forget about as soon as we finish reading it off though so i've already forgotten about it so please remind me (laughs) so this is indomitable might this is an enchantment aura it has flash and it costs four mana three and a green it says enchanted creature gets plus three plus three uh, and enchanted creatures controller may have it assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So everything's a thorn elemental, or, mm. or at least one thing. Yeah, there you go. You know, I just saw that Druid of Purification is pre-selling for three dollars, so I'm gonna have to jump on that. But <laughs> uh, uh, Indomitable Might, uh, it's very weak. Uh, yeah, super not good. Like, uh, you remember Feral Invocation? No, of course he didn't, because it was common and it sucked, and it was almost exactly this card. So, this is slightly better, but also it's like the decks that would play this are like Earl the Miststalker, which like already is gonna hit hard and be big. So it's like, don't you don't need this. This is yeah. this is whatever. Yeah, don't. You know, this is not a card that anyone really needs. Uh, moving on to the next card. This is Neverwinter Hydra, XX Green Green for a zero zero creature Hydra. As it enters the battlefield, roll XD6. It enters with a number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the total of those results. It has Trample and Ward 4. So, uh, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is almost exactly a black-bordered Labradoodle, which is a card from Unstable that basically does the same thing, except didn't have Ward 4. So that's, or sorry, Hydradoodle, I apologize. But it's it's cool that they are like sort of porting over the silver bordered dice rolling cards that make sense in Magic, and this one seems like it'd be a good fit for a Gargo deck with that cost reduction. You're basically paying GG for a seven seven Trample Ward four, you know, on on average based on like what you might expect to get from that many D six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, if you want to pump more mana into it, it's even more. So. Seems like a a strong card for that deck. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much all it's going to go into. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot better places to spend a lot of mana uh, in Magic. So this goes into Gargos, and Gargos will be happy, and and I'll 
I'll leave it there. Um, this next card is called Song of Inspiration. And it is a green instant for five mana, three green green. It says choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard. Roll a d20 and add the total mana value of those cards. 1 through 14, return those cards to your hand. 15 plus, return those cards to your hand and gain life equal to their mana value. Hmm. So, uh, I don't know. You can get going on this first if you want. <laughs> sure. Um, so, it is an instant, which of course is always nice. But there has been a lot of sorcery speed regrowth effects limited to permanence. And they generally don't see a lot of play in Commander. I like that you can get most of this value from this card without hitting the 15 plus. Like the the life gain bonus mm -hmm. is really not necessary to to make this yeah, card work. Function. Yeah. yeah, but there's I, I just don't think this card is going to see a lot of play because like getting back permanence is not that powerful. Like I mean. It, it's kind of like a double raise dead a lot of the time. <laughs> I, I just don't think this is really uh, going to see a lot of adoption. Yeah, exactly. I, I think if you want this kind of effect in your list, there's so many places to get it. So you, like, it's basically a budget option. Like, This is just going to be easy to pick up if you want it. Um, that That's it. There's, there's just so many things that do this. Um, the fact that this is a instant is a little cooler than some of the other ones so mm -hmm. maybe it is a little better but that that doesn't mean i want to play it mm -hmm. so whoops and we have one more green card and this one is also we can move pretty quickly through it that's yeah i'll read it off uh it yeah. is wild endeavor four green green for sorcery roll two d4 and choose one result create a number of three three green beast creature tokens equal to that result then search your library for a number of basic land cards equal to the other result, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. I am I, I don't think like any of these results are really exciting for this much mana. Okay, so with a D4, you are can expect that on average you'll roll about two and a half. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I haven't been running like any of the the things that cost six and, and ramp three lands. I honestly have been not really running any of the things that cost four and ramp two lands. Yeah. So I'm just generally not excited about paying this much for that half of the card. And then in terms of just making beasts, like that's, that's practically free. Like beasts aren't super impactful. Uh, I, I certainly don't want to pay six mana for a couple of them. I, I don't like anything about this card at this yeah. point. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Pretty much like if I'm ramping into something big, and I need a six drop, like I would rather just run the Verdant Confluence mm -hmm. or something like that. Like I would rather run Hour of Promise, which gets me to Oh, I love Hour of Promise. For, yeah, for sure. We'll just do that instead. Yeah, I would just do that instead. Or just like Boundless Realms, which is one more mana, but gets you all of the lands you'll ever need. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like it just seems like this is so lackluster for how much mana you're spending on it. Um, And you know what? I'm okay with that because mm -hmm. green got got true to purification and I'm just going to be upset about that for a while. But yep. now we're in the multicolor cards um, and there's some bangers in here. So, All right, this next one's kind of neat. It is Midnight Pathlighter, two white blue for a 2-3 creature human wizard. Creatures you control can't be blocked except by legendary creatures and 
Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. Uh, so this is a really interesting combination of abilities. We don't often see like a single card granting both. It kind of does everything for you. Mm-hmm. All you need to have is warm bodies. Like normally you would expect, okay, like there's a combat damage trigger granting ability, and then you put it in the deck with a whole bunch of evasive creatures, or like here's something that grants your guys evasion, and you like maybe play it in a deck with a bunch of combat damage triggers. But to get both on a single card is, I mean, it, it, it like I said, it solves everything for you. All you need is creatures in your yeah. deck. <laughs> Yeah, which is cool. So I'm I'm into this guy. It really does seem like I could just throw this in a deck and not have any other venture cards because honestly the evasion is so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, you can only block with your commander and any other random legends you may have around. And to be fair, like you might be playing against like a Neombi 2.0 list or something like that, or you know, like a Wrath Capuchin or or something but you're probably not (laughs) like you're you're probably not playing against that person so this is more or less your creatures are unblockable yeah i know i keep doing this but i want to make it clear to everyone the way this is worded in a four-player game you can get max three ventures in one turn like once for each opponent and that can be a little awkward in the if you're trying to like farm the dungeon of the mad mage because essentially what it means is your your first three triggers are like bunk they don't do anything the second three three like start to get pretty good you get your scry two you get your uh exile the top two you may cast them and your scry three and it's only until the the seventh room in dungeon of the mad mage where you get the the real awesome prize which is when you're drawing three cards and casting one for free Mm -hmm. so is a little awkward that if it's your only venture card, it takes three turns to really get the value. And if it dies prematurely, like, you know, if this dies after you've gotten only the first three triggers, it hasn't really done much for you. I mean, I guess like let your guys get in. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like really paying off what you're doing, it doesn't seem awesome. No, no, definitely. So uh, I... That's why I kind of am not putting too much stock into the venture part of it. I, I think, like, if you have a deck where you want your guys to get in, um, so, I, I mean, something that comes to mind is, like, Derevi, Imperial Tactician. Um, this, whatever token you've made is going to hit now, and now Derevi is going to make more tokens, and you're going to venture... And you're going to venture three times a turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's just how it's going to be. So like, it seems really good in like a, a deck like that or any commander that wants their guys to get in and do on-hit effects or something like that. So I, I think the venture is like gravy and the evasion is the cool part here. And as long as you're building around the evasion, then you're probably doing it right. Okay, that, that's reasonable. Which uh, gets us to this next card, which is not nearly as cool. Um, mm-hmm. This is Extract Brain. Uh, yes, you heard that right. Uh, it is a sorcery. It costs X blue black. Target opponent chooses X cards from their hand. Look at those cards. You may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unless you like really, really know your friend's decks. It's kind of going to be kind of a gamble what you're hitting off of this. You know, it's possible that they just don't have anything that's particularly useful. I would be really 
unlikely to run this card in a deck that couldn't somehow give me a little bit of advanced information. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe like send triplets because not only does your commander like give you an ability that will let you see people's hands, but also send triplets is going to be running cards like telepathy or other ways to see people's hands so that you can sort of make the best decision about who to target with your send triplets and whose spells you most want to cast. So in that deck, uh, I think that extract brain is, is probably best. Whereas in most other commanders, you're going to have no idea what you're going to get. And I think it's just too high variance. It could be nothing or it could be something game winning. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if, if your play group consistently has only three cards in hand or something like that, like, sure. <laughs> but there's just better ways to steal things from people's hands in blue black. Like there's ninjas that do it. There's other cards that do it. Mm -hmm. There's creatures that do it on ETB. Like, if you want this effect, there's better ways to do it. So, yeah, which is great because now we can move on to the next card. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, um, uh, I'll read this one off. It is Beavered Suspicion. Six black red for a sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card. You may cast any number of spells from among those non-land cards without paying their mana costs. And it has rebound. So basically you get to cast it again during the next upkeep following you the first time you cast it. Uh, so I'm pretty low on this card. Like that initial eight mana is just so much, especially like given that you're kind of just getting a random smattering of value and yeah. your opponent like could be playing a deck like, like Cadena or like Arcades, the strategist where their non land cards are totally worthless to you. <laughs> um, so I really don't love paying this much mana for randomness i think that maybe if you were playing a deck that could cheat the cost like a maybe a jaleva or possibly a joda archmage eternal deck still in even in both of those decks like you're up against a, a pretty expansive color identities worth of options for haymaker spells so mm. i don't know if like doing something randomly is better than casting like expropriate or time stretch or, or just something absolutely bonkers yeah no i i mean i totally agree with that i think like if your meta is one in which you're much more classical edh where you're building up and casting haymakers this is probably really good if you're already running like a caravec or like uh the new tybalt the oh, sure. creature on the front planeswalker in the back like yeah you're already pretty god much, of lies yeah. yeah exactly you're you're getting to the point where this isn't that much more <laughs> to to cast and in which it probably is fine for you but like i don't know if i would just jam this in like rakdos lord of riots or something like that you know like yeah seems not good yeah i, I mean i would say i think that's a good point like if if your meta game is like clearly in the the battle cruiser magic uh, phase of commander development or whatever or if you just like really like the visceral feel of flipping all these cards then yeah go ahead and run it but if you're trying to go for like if, if your meta is kind of like optimized casual commander there are just like clearly better options that you should choose if you are you know trying to win the game yeah but i do know someone saw a rebound and was like just absolutely giddy about mm -hmm. this card so if that was you then um 
go have a blast. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it later. Have fun, folks. Yep. All right. Uh, you want to read off this next card? Yeah, this is an origin story. This is Hurl Through Hell. Uh, this is an instant. It costs two black-red. It says, exile target creature. Until the end of your next turn, you may cast that card. And you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. What is her name? Zariel, the angel? Zariel. Zariel, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so Zariel, this is her origin story. She went to like oversee the blood war, which was a war between the demons and the devils. Uh, and basically like got too close and got pulled through hell and got super corrupted and stuff and mm. became evil angel, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty cool. You know, that's a pretty good trope. Um, but this card is, it is, it is, it's a kill spell, <laughs> you know, it's a four mana kill spell. You got a little bit of upside. There's really not too much to say about <laughs> it, but I'm not going to run it myself. Yeah, I just I don't just don't think the extra cost is worth the benefit on this one. Yeah, you know we we just played a game yesterday and there was plenty of spot removal flying around, but it was like a lot of it was aimed at people's commanders or yes. like you know at one point you know I I killed a, a goblin welder and it just happened to be the case that like that goblin welder would also have been useful in my deck, so like a hurl through hell would have done something there, but it just could just as easily could have been like not i could have been playing a different deck where it wasn't good i think most of the time that goblin welder is like just going to be really good in its owner's deck and not so good in the other decks mm-hmm. or, or or like somebody aimed spot removals at um at like a village bell ringer that you were trying to combo off with and who else is going to use a village bell ringer i, yeah. I just <laughs> think that like you want spot removal to to like kill something efficiently so you don't have to leave a, a bunch of mana for it I, I think a lot of the time I don't really care about the creature that got removed. The most important thing is making sure that you don't have it. And that actually is something I've been thinking about a lot in regards to like deck construction and stuff lately. Because our, our play group has started to trend away from wraths and more towards spot removal. Mm-hmm. And I think a big reason for that is there's a lot less aggro and a lot more synergy and or combo. Mm-hmm. Which is disrupted by these cheap kill spells where if I have a ton of squirrels or sapperlings a kill spell isn't gonna help me so yeah i i think that really is what this comes down to is like spot removal really shines against like when a commander is doing something like you said or or a combo is happening so if your meta is such that like you're voltroning a pure steel paladin or something like that or you're you're trying to like make one big malignous attack or something like that then yeah maybe hurl through hell is perfect for your play group but i would venture to guess that you probably just have better options mm-hmm. and it does exile but i don't know that that it's not always super relevant you know yeah uh, i think we can move on to the next card yeah you want to read this one off yeah this guy rips this is dragonborn <laughs> champion uh, this is a 5-3 dragon warrior with trample for four mana uh, two red green. They have whenever a source you control deals five or more damage to a player, draw a card. <laughs> Heck yeah! <laughs> like I'm so into the like. This is so cool. I love this guy. Yeah, uh, this guy is really neat. Not only does it work really, really well with the uh, the face commander, the, the one that makes five four dragon spirits, but uh, Micah on our Discord server suggested putting it in Rurikthar, which seems like the perfect home for it 
It doesn't care if the damage was combat damage. So every time somebody casts a non-creature spell and Rurikthar domes them for six, you also get to draw a card, which seems absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then like Angry Omnath, Omnath, Locus of Rage, um, Mm -hmm. or Mael the the Anima, both of those also can put a lot of five power creatures on the battlefield. So I think it might also find a home in those decks. Yeah, I was kind of thinking like the shortcut is if you're already running where Ancients Tread, you probably just want to run this guy too. <laughs> like, if you have a bunch of just big donks, then this guy is probably where you should be. That you're you're gonna draw cards. He's gonna trigger those same cards. He he just fits right in. He's perfect. It's, Absolutely, it's chocolate and peanut butter all together. It's great. <laughs> so this is Klaus Will. And this is a, an instant. It costs X, red, red, green. It says, choose one if you control a commander. As you cast the spell, you may choose both. And it has two uh, flavor text uh, choices. One is Breathe Flame. Cloth's Will deals X damage to each creature without flying. And the other is Smash Relics. Destroy up to X target artifacts and or enchantments. So I, I love that they are willing to just make wills like this, like Jessica's will and Akroma's will and whatnot mm-hmm. in these supplemental sets. I hope, I honestly do hope we get more things like this. And also this card rocks. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of does everything. Like whatever the problem at hand this is going to take care of it. Like if a bunch of creatures are bothering you, this will wipe them out of the way. And if somebody's got an Enchantress deck that's putting a, that's really harsh in your vibe, this will also do something about it. It is a little bit expensive, like three mana being the base, like before you even start paying the X is a little bit much, but there, I mean, there's plenty of like green red decks that can ramp pretty well and are able to get the mana you need in order to get this going. But yeah, a few, we talked about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, this is a cool card. I think if you're playing a big gruel deck, you should do it put it in there it's gonna work out really well the fact that it's an instant is just like like gravy it's so good Mm -hmm. this next card is is really interesting i still am not quite sure where i sit on it but it's called ride the avalanche it is an instant it costs green blue so just two mana it says the next spell you cast this turn can be cast as though it had flash when you cast your next spell this turn, put X plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature you control, where X is the mana value of that spell. So that's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's basically incentivizing you to flash in something huge. Hmm. I I just I am not a huge fan of this card. Like Alchemist's Refuge is in the same color identity. And it's, you know, it's a land that taps for one colorless mana. And then you could pay green, blue, and tap it to give your non-land spells flash until end of turn. I like that a lot better than this. It just, like, takes up a land slot. It's not really obtrusive. It, it doesn't really eat into the, your main deck cards. Whereas I don't think I want to put Ride the Avalanche as one of my, like, 60-ish non-land cards in my deck. It just doesn't seem like it does enough. If I want to cast something with Flash, I can do it without spending a card on it. You know what I mean? I totally get that. I was trying to think of like where or when I would want to Flash this in, and it's like maybe 
some weird Roalesque list or something like that. But I think, I mean, you're right. Like, I, I played Alchemist Refuge in a few decks, and the amount of times I've used it is is honestly pretty small because it is such a hefty mana investment. It's basically three mana to give something flash. But the times I've used it, it was good, you know, but it also didn't cost me a deck slide. <laughs> this doesn't replace itself. It just makes something big. So, And, and that's assuming you have something to put the counters on, you know. So, yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm with you on this. I think I'm pretty down on it. There's something in the back of my brain that tells me I'm forgetting something or not thinking about something, but I don't know if that's true. So maybe the listeners at home could be like, oh, you forgot about this interaction or this would be really good with this card or something. So Yeah, if we're missing something here, let us know. But I think in most decks, this is not really going to do a whole lot. Yeah, I would I would definitely say that. I think in most decks, it's not good. That gets us to the artifacts. We we're almost there, everybody. We just have like a few more cards to get through. Um, and this next card, I don't <laughs> I don't have much to say because it made me very sad. So mm -hmm. this is Bucknard's Everfull Purse. It is a two mana artifact, um, and it's a it's an object that I very much like in D anD. d It has one tap roll a d4 and create a number of treasure tokens equal to the result then the player to your right gains control of bucknard's ever full purse <laughs> i was like so high on this card and then and then it had to do me like that did that on a regular basis it would be amazing uh yeah <laughs> but the as it stands right now um it it seems like incredibly bad value like as we mentioned earlier on a d4 you can expect to get about a two and a half that's what your average roll is going to be so you're spending two mana to cast this and one mana to activate it so three mana total to get on average two and a half mana and then passing it to your opponent who is going to spend one mana and get two and a half mana off of it and then they'll pass it to their opponent and, and so your your opponents are guaranteed like often we talk about a, how a card a card that appears to be weighted in your favor is actually like kind of weighted in your collective opponent's favor like oh i draw two cards and each opponent draws one card i'm drawing more than each individual opponent but collectively they're drawing more cards than me we talk about like evaluating cards looking at things from that perspective but with bucknard's everfull purse not only is it like it's worse individually like the individual deal you are getting is worse than that your opponents are getting and then collectively they're just swamping you with value off of your card it seems very not good <laughs> yes and this is pretty much like anytime they do these in the commander decks they're usually pretty bad pretty casual and mm, i should i don't know should i say casual is there a better word i could use they're like for people who don't care to optimize and yeah, those people deserve toys too. You know, if this makes somebody happy, then I'm glad it exists. But I'm never gonna play this card. Yeah, because <laughs> Homeward Path only gets your creatures back. If there is a land that Homeward Path everything back, maybe you know. But well, then not. you'd be well then you then you'd be like tapping a land and paying one to activate this. So you're paying like two mana every turn. To get on average two and a half mana worth of value. <laughs> yeah. So, the, yeah. The only reason I would say that is like there's some decks that want the tokens, you know? So even if you're spending two mana, like getting two more 
like Inferno Titans with Brutaclad is probably worth it or getting two more ways to cast a, a Dargo or something or, you know like there I feel like there's a few commanders where that would be fine but I, I, we don't need to spend too much time talking about it because that's not the world we live in mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah Bucknard's ever full purse I will continue to love you in tabletop and probably won't ever pick you up in in a card form mm-hmm. um and this next one is uh i think we can go through pretty quickly because it looks like another card but it's not yep so this is clay golem uh this is an artifact creature golem it is a four 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 generic and it has six roll a d8 monstrosity x where x is the result so you pay six roll a d8 and put that many counters on it and it becomes monstrous and it has Berserk, a flavor text ability. When Clay Golem becomes monstrous, destroy target permanent. Basically 10 mana for a Meteor Golem, but you can kind of split it up over turns. So how do you feel about that? I think like splitting it up is nice, but uh, splitting it up also kind of like neuters the card for commanders that might be otherwise interested in cheating it into play or like blinking it or reanimating it. Like Meteor Golem actually sees a, a lot of play in Commander, in part because it's so flexible and it's just, you know, you can toss it into a reanimation engine, you can flip it around with Goblin Welder, you can do a whole bunch of things to get used to that Vindicate many, many times. But Clay Golem doesn't really play well with those kinds of things. The only way to, like, I mean, yeah, you can blink it and reset the monstrous, but then you still have to pay a whole other six mana. And it's it's just too much work. This card is like aggressively fair. Yeah, <laughs> aggressively fair is a good way to put it. Um, I don't really have much more to add to that. I I think if you really really wanted a meteor golem, you have meteor golem. So yeah, that's that's where I'm gonna leave it. This next card though, I'm actually pretty excited for. So, um, this is called Component Pouch. It's an artifact. It costs three mana, and it says uh, tap. Remove a component counter from component pouch. Add two mana of different colors. It also says tap, roll a d20. One through nine, put a component counter on component pouch. Ten through twenty, put two component counters on component couch. Component. <laughs> put two component counters on component pouch. So, yeah, this is, this is great. I'm actually pretty into this rock. It's it's interesting as like a mana rock. It's kind of in between like a, a mana rock that taps for two and one that taps for one because of that like randomness in it. On average, it's going to add about 1.22 mana per turn, which uh, I, I mean, that, that works out well in some cases. Like it'll make a decent impression of a worn power stone for the purposes of like casting a six mana commander on turn four. Um, because you can, you know, add a component, one or two components on the turn it comes out and then remove the component the next turn, but it is definitely going to be uneven and you like, are going to have to recharge it fairly regularly. Uh, so if your deck is one where you're, I guess, okay with like having less mana on some turns, uh, and, and like maybe if you have like a really uneven curve, I suppose, like a bunch of six drops and then a bunch of like three and four mana spells, then you could probably work this to your advantage. I would certainly run it over like a dark stealing it or a mana lift. I also think this is really cool. Like 
I'm a big fan of the three mana rocks, the Warren Power Stones, the Coalition Relics in five mana commanders. And this does a great job of getting your five mana commander down. Um, or, or sorry, your six mana commanders? Uh, no, it's five, right? Because it's, oh, three. No, you play three, four, five, six. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, six mana commanders. Oh, it's even better. Yeah. So, like, this is great for, I just did math wrong for some reason. Like, I guess <laughs> if you don't hit your land drop, you're guaranteed to cast your five mana commander. But if you do hit your land drop, you are 1,000% playing your six mana commander. And, and that is great. I, I love that. Making sure your deck does what it can do is a good and important thing. Uh, it's one of the reasons I don't care that like Arcane Signet exists. <laughs> like most mana bases look the same anyway, even without acceleration. You're still playing overgrown tombs and steam vents. You know what I mean? Like if you're playing colors, your your mana bases are gonna look the same, and that okay. So your rocks are the same too now. Who like who cares? I'm not excited about playing the rocks. I'm playing. I'm excited about playing the Cloths Will. You know, I'm excited about playing Dragonborn Champion. Like those are the cards that I'm excited about. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't care that I had to play another Stomping Grounds to get there. So component pouch being another way to like consistently get down these like more expensive commanders, I'm all there for it. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, no, it's sweet. And of course love them innovating on the three mana rocks rather than just doing a bunch of two mana rocks that are could displace the yeah. slightly worse ones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, speaking I'm, of two mana rocks, though. Yeah. And this next one, actually, like kind of on the same point, this is called Ebony Fly, and I'll, I'll have more to say about it in a second. But it's an artifact, costs two mana, enters the battlefield tapped. It has tap, add colorless, and it has four roll a d6 until end of turn. You may have Ebony Fly become an XX insect artifact creature with flying, where X is the result. And it says, whenever Ebony Fly attacks, another target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. So I love these two mana rocks. Like, all the, like, weird, I don't want to play this in every deck, but it's really good in this deck, two mana rocks, I'm super into. So to me, this looks a lot like Rogue's Passage. Uh, And you're going to be surprised by exactly how many decks are running Rogue's Passage. It's in 93,000 decks on EDH rec. <laughs> uh, incredible rates of adoption. And this is kind of, this kind of does mostly that. Like you're essentially paying for and tapping it by animating it and attacking with it. Uh, and you're granting your like Phage or Virtus or whatever flying, which will certainly get it past a lot of blockers. So I, I kind of like this, you know, if you're need in need of a two mana rock to help accelerate your commander and you're trying to do full Trony things, this seems like kind of a free roll to include in your deck. I love this. I love that they keep making these rocks that you aren't going to run in every deck, but you'll really want to run in some decks like Liquid Metal Torque is another one from Modern Horizons 2. Uh, I really hope we see this trend continue of like very specific mana rocks. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Definitely. We are to the second to last card. This is Sword of Hours. It is two mana for an artifact equipment. It has equipped for two. And whenever equipped creature attacks, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage, roll a d12. If the result is greater than the damage dealt or the result is 12, double the number of plus one plus one counters on that creature. When I see this, I, I think of commanders that like use counters as a resource. 
So if if you're running like a Karlov of the Ghost Council, uh, this will help you like pump up your counters and then you can spend them to kill things. So that's that's kind of what I was looking at for this card. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm crazy about it in Voltron because. I mean, maybe if you're like Voltron Commander, naturally comes in with a lot of plus one plus one counters, but still, but like the variance makes me a little wary of relying on the card. Yeah, I agree. I think this is like for because I don't think the card is bad. I think this is a card for people who. Ooh, sorry. I think this is a card for people who like variance, and this is a card for people who want like big splashy plays. Obviously, if you're just trying to win, there are better equipment to play. But this is, like I said, like not it's not actively bad. It, it is helping you along with your game plan of putting a sword on a thing and a, killing someone. So I think it's fine. Yeah, it, it, like you said, if you're using counters as a resource, if you want to roll a d12, <laughs> here's a card for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we got one more card to talk about. Yes, this card is Underdark Rift. It is a land, it taps for a colorless, and it has five tap exile Underdark Rift. Roll a d10. Put target artifact, creature, or planeswalker into its owner's library just beneath the top X cards of that library where X is the result. Activate only as a sorcery. So this is a really interesting card. We haven't seen like hard removal for so many different types on a land before. Um, and like the opportunity to cost it, run it is pretty much just like, are you willing to give up colored mana? Are your mana requirements n- lax enough that you can fit this into your deck? And I think there's going to be a lot of decks, especially like monocolor decks and, and especially, especially mono brown decks uh, that can f- fit this deck into their mana base without too much trouble. No, I I completely agree. If you're if you are playing a big man of black, so God, what was his name? La- Lar Larkan. <laughs> we talked about Lokran. Lorcan. Uh, Lorcan. Yeah, <laughs> if you're playing Lorcan, if you're playing a big man of black deck, this is probably pretty easy to squeeze in. Um, same with like if you're playing like a big red list, like Neheb 2.0 or 3.0, where you just like end up with like a metric crap ton of red pips in your mana pool <laughs> like mm-hmm. um stuff like that if you're playing like a green deck that just makes too much mana uh, old knob bones or whatever like this seems just totally fine it's just a catch-all for whatever it seems better in black and red but it does still seem like a way to answer a threat mm-hmm. all right uh that wraps up our discussion of the commander decks um i was hoping we could answer a couple quick patreon questions and then talk about uh just our overall impression of the decks yeah so well this you know this patron question kind of gets right to the heart of the matter uh i'm curious as to how these compare to other pre-cons both set and annual ones uh also is giving us four decks going to be something white watsi is likely to repeat outside of our normal commander sets this is coming to us from Pravis, uh, one of the members of our Discord server. So uh, let's let's see. Uh, I would say these precons are mostly successful at meeting R and D's current goal of like not introducing new staples via the precons. Uh, aside from the druid, yeah. <laughs> most of these new cards seem like they're fitting into pretty narrow archetypes. Yeah, um, didn't seem like anything that like oh I need to pick up four copies of this because it's going to be ten dollars in three months. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, aside from the druid, that is. One thing that's kind of worth considering is like the lack of staples are going to make it so that these decks are going to be more reliant on their reprints for value. Yes. And yeah. that's and that seems a little bit uneven. Like there's at least one like high dollar high-ish dollar item in each deck. Like the um the black red deck has disrupt decorum which is, you know, like 16 17. Um in the dungeon deck there's a phantasmal image which is also kind of in that range. Uh, there's Kindred Summons and Skyline Despot in the Dragon deck. And then the uh, the Bant deck, the Equipment deck, has Pure Steel Paladin, Sword of the Animist, and Utopia Sprawl, and as well as, honestly, a couple other things. I think it's also got uh, yeah, that are Heroic like, Intervention. Yeah, that are between like 7 and $10, yeah. Yeah. So in terms of pure card value, the, the Bant deck seems really good. The Dragon deck is kind of reliant on some cards that just like maybe are expensive but potentially don't have a lot of reprint equity yeah. like i don't think everyone and their mother is really trying to get their hands on a skyline despot but it just happens to be you know 15 dollars or yeah. more something crazy <laughs> yeah so maybe that'll drop and i think that like long term i just don't know if these card these decks are like an awesome investment but yeah but they do seem fun to play uh i'm, I'm really happy with a lot of these commanders reprint problems aside because wizard still is not getting a super good handle on that front and that's a topic for another episode but reprints aside i i think like just looking at design wise for these because we i think both of us very highly praised the the well pretty much every time they've done this the zendikar rising precons the calheim precons like any of the precons tied to a set that used the set mechanics because they're able to inject necessary designs for those set mechanics to work in commander and i think these decks go about doing that for the most part obviously we talked about the um our little barbarian friend up at the top uh who you know he's not super good at rolling dice even though he calls out rolling dice so um sorry vrondis but you're you're not really a good dice rolling (laughs) commander (laughs) but there are other commanders that are pretty good at that in the set so i'm you know i'll give him a break because he's so cool i would argue with that but continue oh (laughs) yeah but what i really think like what they're doing with these decks is coming through pretty well uh i think we saw this like the the perfect execution of this was when there was not that many reprints in these decks um i guess to answer the second part of this question i don't think they're going to give us four decks per set i think it's just for special sets so this being like the D&D crossover, they're like, that's a really cool thing. Let's do four decks for that. So I don't think we're going to get four decks for the commander sets every time we Ooh. have a new set come out. You know, I think it's just when they feel like it's a it's a cool thing or a cool idea. Yeah, Gavin Verhey actually talked a little bit about this on Good Morning Magic. And he said that going forward, there's going to be a mix of two deck releases and releases with more than two decks. Uh, so for example, Innistrad Midnight Hunt is going to have two commander precons and innistrad crimson val will also have two commander precons but he did mention that these two pairs are designed to be played together yeah so i think that if we're going to be staying on a plane for a while it makes sense to spread out the precons and then maybe if we're just seeing a set or seeing a plane once and then moving on it might make sense to have four decks there 
uh, you know, it's hard to say this is a really new thing and we, we're going to need more data points before we can really figure out the pattern of how they're going to be releasing these. Yeah, exactly. Because I uh, honestly, like, I feel like much like the secret layers, they're still not quite sure how they're going to use these decks. Like, I, I they know they sell well and they know people want them. So they're going to keep making them. I just don't think they have the pattern down uh, as efficiently or in a way where we can like count on a thing happening the same every time. Mm -hmm. But I think for the most part, these compare pretty favorably to most of the precons. Like, like you said, they don't inject just straight staples into the format. They are actually just printing interesting cards that some decks want giving us new tools to work with, giving us cool commanders to build around. And I think that's really cool. I think that's like a good thing to have around. Yeah, I think that's it. I, we had another question that we kind of answered. Do you do you, do you remember who asked this question? Uh, yeah, this was Micah on our Discord server. Um, Micah asked, do you see a Dockside Extortionist or even an Archaeomancer's map level card in any of these precons? So... Definitely not a Dockside Extortionist, but I think Druid of Purification is just like clearly good value. Like Reclamation Sage is in many tens of thousands of decks on EDH Rec, and this is just like a mostly an upgrade. I mean, it doesn't have the, the same creature typing. It is a human as opposed to an elf, so that does matter for some decks. But I think it's just like easily the most staply card and I don't think there's anything like really close to it in terms of how like widely useful uh, it, it is. Yeah, man. It's <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's not crazy expensive. I'm, I think that is partly just because people are like, why I have Rexage, but they will learn. And yeah. you, if you're listening to this, should know now, pick them up at three to one dollar <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they're at now. Yeah, well, actually, like, I'm wondering, well, TCG Player currently doesn't have any copies in stock. I don't know if, like, stores have really started to to place them. So mm -hmm. maybe this is just, like, an aberration. And once, like, the market gets going, it might shoot up. Maybe that $3 is, is not actually going to be true once people start estimating their inventory. Probably one of those cards that in a few years is going to be very expensive. This is just like a kind of whatever card in a commander set, and all of a sudden it's like a twenty dollar card. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what Druid of Purification seems like to me. Like people are not super crazy about it until they realize that it's really good, and also they are not printing them anymore. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That that's kind of it. We did it, everyone. Oh, we said it wasn't going to be four hours, and we lied, but we didn't know <laughs> it. So forgive us. Yeah, so, sorry everyone. Uh, I hope you're enjoying these extra long episodes. The upside of this is that we we do free up time in the release schedule for some other topics, and we've got some really spicy ones coming up to you. Aim, aim for re releasing in two weeks after yeah, you hear this. We are going to take a quick break. Um, Zach is going on vacation. Yes, four-hour episodes are a lot to, <laughs> as you heard from yeah, the last. A well-deserved vacation. Yeah. Um, but we've got some some great topics coming up after that. So uh, stay tuned, everyone. Yeah. No, I'm actually I'm really excited for what this what the summer fall all of this is going to bring. So um, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. If you like the four hour episodes, then heck yeah. Thank you for listening. If you don't like the four hour episodes, I'm sorry. Also, thank you for listening. 
but we'll uh we have more more original content coming soon <laughs> yes we're, we're gonna have like a, a two-month break before innistrad really kicks into gear so uh I don't, I don't know if i believe that okay all right it's i don't know all right maybe maybe like one month before the spoilers <laughs> starts trickling out but or or something like there's gotta be there's they're planning something i feel it <laughs> i feel a rumbling but so we we do have stuff coming in maybe do. they're gonna announce like what the contents of the stranger things secret layer are gonna be and they're all like format staples and <laughs> everyone's gonna lose their mind we'll see mm -hmm. we'll find out and then we'll have a cool episode about it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thank you for listening and we'll talk to you later all right uh with that i'm gonna give a brief shout out to our patreon patrons they are gustav ryan mark rick Raphael, laser charlotte hannah andy dylan james logan roger evan bryce dylan benjamin jamie matthew jason kyle brandon kevin kydell jeremy russell dylan leo ian john john tom micah troy roxanne charles daniel ellie and leon Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln continental by entropy. And you can check them out on SoundCloud until next time. We're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>